face-to-face. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with me, Ryan Campbell. And it is back with a bang. Lend me your ear, folks. All pro wrestling all the damn time. Friends, Roman Reigns, Mex-Americans, lend me your Mick Foley ears. Exactly. Talk box and prepare for injection as that syringe is runneth over with performance enhancing audio you know it you love it you drop five stars on it the brian campbell the voice that you hear as the great nick costos used to say about this show in this campbell podcast oh yeah we are back uh do we have a loaded show that's up to your discretion we will be talking about everything going on in the world of pro wrestling Maybe even some things going on in sports entertainment. Wow. 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 I am sick of sports entertainment. Thank you, Joey Styles. Oh, uh, look, we got a great interview for you this week. Ring of Honor heavyweight champion Matt Taven. Yes, one of the rising heels in the world, brother. A guy who I really thought at G1 Supercard this year when he captured said title really sort of made the leap. We're going to chat with him about Friday's Ring of Honor War of Worlds card. Got a big title defense against Jeff Cobb in that main event. All righty then. Thank you. Spread the love. Spread the cheer. Spread the the legs no spread the five stars this way let me bring in my co-host say hello to the bad guy he's a man with a short memory so we'll forget all the times he's had you he's the silver king adam silverstein hey now speaking of short memories the the show on saturday happens to be called Best in the world, BC, uh, in Baltimore, yeah. Maryland. World and Matt Taven is defending that Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. I think we had Tom Cruise on the brain. By the way, War of the Worlds. Did you ever see that Tom Cruise movie? Yeah, it was not good. Exactly. The final <laughs> scene at that factory filmed in my hometown of Naugatuck, Connecticut. So take that, Silver King, all right? Oh, not, not hard-hitting New Britain? No, no, no. I did once live there for a year. Uh, great hot dogs at uh, at uh, Capital Lunch. But no, I, I will not. I will not vouch for hard hitting New Britain. Okay, thank well, you. Anyway, anyway, that matches against Jeff Cobb, and we will talk with Matt Taven. I say we. Brian Campbell, the man whose name is on the marquee, will speak with Matt Taven later in the show, BC. Um, you know, before we really get into the main event here, look, we, you and I, last week, were positive. Powers of Positivity Campbell returned. Silver King was on a, a bright spot, felt good about the WWE product heading into a show that we really had no business feeling good about. And, I mean, is it fair to say that they have completely turned that switch on us exactly seven days later? Yeah, here was me on the second half of Sunday, all of Monday, and certainly Tuesday night. Yes, thank you. Wow. As As opposed to sirens and revved engines last week on TV in the first half. The question, it really comes down to, and again, I know there's some people out there who they've only drinking from the cup of sports entertainment their whole life. And they tweet me and they say, look, BC, I don't know if I can stick with your show if you stay negative. Because to me, I find the enjoyment in it. I am powers of positivity. Look, I'm powers of positivity, too, when it calls for it. It don't call for it right now, people. So now it's a war of attrition, Adam. It's how much abuse 
am I willing to take? Yes, my boyfriend hits me, but you know what? He's got a big dong. Can we say that on here? Well, you're you're exposing some I'm truths not, about Brian about Campbell me. right I'm now. I'm using a generic thing. We have female listeners, uh, so the female listeners are thinking that they're like this. You giant, said, I mean, the words were my boyfriend. This giant. Well, let me. Let's, you know, I mean, let me tell you. Let me tell you a piece of meat that I enjoyed. <laughs> uh, the giant dong is <laughs> WWE creative, and we just keep letting them bang the gong against the well, side of our head, Adam, with that thing. Here, and I can't. The, I can't do it anymore. All right. Well, here's here's the truth, man, and it's it's the same way I speak about. AEW or NJPW, I speak about WWE. When it's good, I get super excited. I like good professional wrestling, good sports entertainment. But when it's bad, I'm going to tell you it's bad, and BC is going to be exact same. We may not always agree what is good and what is bad, but we're going to tell you the truth. And that's what the show is about. I mean, if WWE puts out a product like they did last week, which was five hours of really, really good television, and the first half of a pay-per-view that was bordering on great. And then follow it up with the second half of a pay-per-view that's bordering on terrible. And five hours of TV that's even worse than that. We're going to tell you that. And it's, we're always going to shoot straight from the hip. And look, this show, the format of this show has changed. You know, some weeks we do Hero or Zero. If we have a lot to talk about, we do that segment. If we don't, we're going to stick with maybe talking a little more AEW or a little more New Japan Pro Wrestling. It just depends on what or a the time, of the, of, the the time of the year calls for. Yeah, and you know, remember that scene in Total Recall with Arnold where there was that chick in the bar with three boobs? Yeah. WWE has two dongs. The one they always hit us with, but we know there's another one in there. Yes, it's painted yellow and black, and we want to see it. I know what you've got in your pants, and I want it. Just what? give it to us. Just whip it out and give it to me. Thank you. All right, then. Wow, we got a lot more to get into on that. Uh, I did want to spread goodwill and cheer. We, we like to shout out the people in our lives we like. We're building a family here in the state of combat. We've got a Mount Rushmore and all that. Uh, you know our good buddy Arun Singh, Adam, from uh, Boom Absolutely. Studios? Puts out him and his company, Boom, put out that fantastic series of WWE comic books. Again, not a comic book nerd here. You'd have these things plastered and framed all over my wall because the artwork and the storytelling is badass. Well, Boom just put out, I want to get the title right here. It's called WWE Then Now Forever Volume 4, a collection of a bunch of their comics. Ric Flair on the cover. And our man, Arun Singh, has teamed up with Kendall Good. For a 10-page story featuring Jinder Mahal and the Singh brothers as the modern-day Maharaja looks to make amends with his locker room enemies. Fantastic comic focusing on Rusev as well, playing a big role. Uh, Super proud of our guy there. He has a real connection being a... uh, a man of Indian descent to Jinder Mahal's rise, big WWE fan, works for Boom. So to him to get his paws on that story was a big deal, and we cheer him on. Check out that comic book. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Just speaking of that, I kind of miss the modern-day Maharaja these days. I mean, think about a year ago. I kind of miss him, not necessarily in the main event. But if you gave me Jinder Hall, Jinder Mahal. Jinder Hall? May- where, 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 Jin- where well, you let's turn- get Kurt Angle on it. Jinder Mahal. Yeah, please, um, can we? WWE champion Jinder Mahal. Uh, modern day Maharaja mid card heel title challenger. I'm down for that. Like I miss that character. I miss the Bollywood boys, the Singh brothers that ended up working, but man, did they water him down? They took away that sick entrance. He had, it was maybe the best entrance WWE had at that time when he was champion, they took that away from him. They turned him into this, you know, bad boys, Martin Lawrence, Wusha or whatever that was type of, like uh, Pedro Serrano gimmick. from major league two. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. 
It's just not good. Well, so I, I, wish, I wish old... better. I wish better for Jinder, who just signed a new five year contract. I was going to mention. WWE. I saw that on uh, Ryan Satin's pro wrestling sheet. The make believe Mahal. <laughs> All right, that'll conclude the Jinder Mahal portion of the <laughs> show. Indeed. Uh, do we, are we selling anything else this week, Adam? No, I think we're clean. We will talk at some point to our friends and sponsors. Not right now, but BC. That leaves two words: main event. This is the main event. And we're definitely going to talk about stomping grounds at some point soon. We'll talk about Raw, what's going on in WWE, AEW, and New Japan Pro Wrestling this week. But Brian, we got to start with what you believe, and I kind of agree. You convinced me is the biggest story in pro wrestling right now, which is a combination Twitter beef between Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay. And Seth Rollins basically hashtag stand up for WWE, if you guys remember that campaign back in the day that WWE ran when they were getting a lot of political pressure. Um, in an interview with SI's Jimmy, I think it's Trania. I don't know how to say his name properly. Trania, That's my yeah, Trina, Trania, 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 whether, whatever. It's a really good podcast. It's a really good interview. But the long and short of it is Seth Rollins does two things in the podcast. One, he stands up for WWE as its champion, as the universal champion. The other thing he does is he combats some of what John Moxley, FKA, Dean Ambrose said about his exit from the company. So I know you heard the interview. I know you've seen the tweets. Really wanted to get your thoughts on what is going on with Seth Rollins right now. Yeah, you're damn right. This is the biggest story in all of sports, and it goes well beyond Will Ospreay. It was a, a series of tweets that Rollins started to tweet out saying, no, we have the best company in the world, blah, blah, blah. Roman Reigns retweeted it. It just so happened that he got tangled up with Ospreay. And by the way, did you see Ospreay just a couple hours ago? Ethered Baron Corbin, who tried to jump in on the party there. Um, In the end, Ospreay, the little guy, ended up putting out a T-shirt line based on Seth Rollins' comment. But really, not about Ospreay here, although well done on that, Will. You are a top five wrestler in the world. What's the what's the T-shirt? I did not see it. Uh, Seth Rollins referred to him as little guy. And then not only did Will Ospreay come back by saying, actually, you're wrong. I wrestled more matches than you did so far this year. And little guy, why don't I run with this? And he put out a uh, shirt, a new line of shirts on pro wrestling tees that say little guy and have all of his what he's accomplished. And then Chris Jericho came over the top and said, hey, Seth, you may want to recheck the numbers. He's actually taller than you. So it was it was interesting here. But here's the deal. Our good buddy Jack Crosby and I for CBS Sports had some nice chats about this. And he's right. And I agreed with it fully. WWE put him up to this. And on one sense of it, and I believe that. I believe that 100% that they put him up to this. He's in a lot of ways the face of what they're doing right now. He's the universal champion. Yes, there's there's Roman Reigns, but people love them, some Seth Rollins. So in a lot of ways, he's the heartbeat of the company at the moment. They put him up to this to defend them. But I got a lot of problems with it. Number one, the first thing he sort of defended was nobody works harder than we do. I'm sick of hearing everybody talk about other wrestling companies, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing, Seth. Let's not misdirect this. The people, just like the people were never really upset at Roman, they were upset at Vince. The people were ups are upset at lazy WWE creative in general. And that outside of the walls of WWE with the training wheels off, we are seeing just magic on the microphone and in the ring elsewhere. And the fact that we know there's actually more talent in WWE on a pound-for-pound -pound basis than around the world. We know, Seth Rollins, you actually could be doing this all the time if you were allowed. So to come out and, and stand up for yourself is fine. But to come out and use the platform of saying, oh, nobody works harder than we do on a night-per-night -night basis. Seth, just because you have to wrestle five nights a week is not our fault. We're not asking you to do that. And while I appreciate that you do, and I appreciate the times that I buy a ticket and bring my kids, 
that you sell out in a non-televised show. I appreciate that. But that's not what we're debating here. And as Will Ospreay pointed out, some of those indie guys actually work more than you do as well in order to make the best living they can possibly make. It's really not about quantity. It's about quality. And it's always been about quality. I would trade back all those matches. In fact, a major problem right now in WWE is that they've picked their five or six favorite performers and they won't stop wrestling on free TV. It's Kofi and Seth in title matches every week, it seems like. There's too much of that. We're talking about your bosses. So your bosses probably pushed you to defend them, and it's all a little bit misdirected, it seems, because you're not getting the real point. I believe you're great. There was a point last year Silver King thought you were the best wrestler in the world, but under that system... You can't get any higher than about eight or nine on my top ten. And that's the way it is. You're handcuffed. We just saw the handcuffs come off of Mox, who's not even, and I mean this, half of the in-ring wrestler you are, Seth. And Mox is doing some Stone Cold Steve Austin-ish that is making the insides of our body and the fluid exchange boil and bubble up. So for you to try to come out in that same interview and say, Oh, Moxley, you know, I love him, but he took his ball and went home and left. No, he's an artist who fought for freedom. And you might be in a financial spot, Seth, where it's not smart to do that. And I respect that. But don't come out here and try to act like what you're doing in Des Moines on a Tuesday night off camera or whatever is better than what we're seeing in Japan or in AEW. Because, brother, it's not. Thank you. Well, the the issue is, and you really did nail it, it, he's making the wrong argument. And it's an argument that is just flawed in execution. So his tweet, his first tweet was, best pro wrestling on the planet, period. It's not. WWE is not the best pro wrestling on the planet, period. And that's, with me believing NXT, under its umbrella, is the best pro wrestling on the planet. But you can't take that and... Lump it in under WWE because, Seth, you're the universal champion. You're the champion of the main roster of the company. NXT isn't on TV. NXT is not pushed to the forefront the same way WWE, AEW, and New Japan, just to name three, are. So that's flawed. And then he said, he followed that up, find anyone else alive who does what I do as well as I do and as often as I do it. Well, Will Ospreay, who many, including you, actually, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but many believe is in 2019, the best wrestler in the world right now is all of those He might, he might be having things. the best year. Seriously, straight up, he so, might be having the best year of any. So when he comes back and says, hey, I'm alive, which is all he replied, like, hey, Seth, I'm alive, so it's not just you. It was pretty innocent. You have to kind of come back and be like, yeah, you're right, Will, you're all, you're awesome too, but we're doing it every night. If, if that's the, the comment you want to make. In terms of WWE, whether they put him up to it or not, can I see it? Absolutely. Do I buy into it? I don't know. Not necessarily. There are NBA players who are mid-level talents who believe they are the best basketball players in the entire world. They'll come out and say it. J.R. Smith has said it. There's guards, I'm forgetting their names right now, who come out and say it and people laugh at them, right? Because they know they're not. Because LeBron James exists. Because Kevin Durant exists. So you, Mr. Backup Shooting Guard on the Sacramento Kings, who has the confidence that is instilled in you in a, from a career of training, practicing, and playing pro basketball, coming out and saying, hey, I'm the, listen, as far as I'm concerned, 
I'm the best in the world. That's great for your confidence. That doesn't mean it's true. And when someone comes back at you and goes, well, we do have LeBron averaging a, a triple-double every single night, you kind of then don't continue the conversation. You kind of say, well, yeah, LeBron's great. And you just move on with your life. It's Seth doubling and tripling down on it. That's really the issue when, look, we live in many ways in a post-fact world. And I don't want to get into political stuff here, but whoa, you know, whoa, people... Whoa. Which direction are you going here? If you lose, I get to shave your head. Oh! But, but we can't act like just because someone says something that it's true and other stuff doesn't exist. Like, even when I was making the argument that Seth was the best in the world, and Brian, you disagreed with me, obviously, and, you know, you were probably right, but I was enamored with what this guy was doing on a night-by-night basis, right? He had those gauntlet matches on Raw. He was the Intercontinental Champion. It was insane work that if you took it and put it in New Japan, you'd probably say, oh, yeah, that's par for the course. But in WWE, we weren't seeing anything like that. So I was giving Rollins praise for about a month. I'm being like, this guy is... He's the best in the world today. This month, what's going on right now? Rollins is kicking ass. But you know what happened? Those matches stopped happening. Kenny Omega had a couple great matches, and you know, the tide turned. And Seth wasn't the best in the world right then. And like I said, you never agree with me in the first place, which is fine. But it's not about your ability, Seth. It's not about um, the wrestlers in WWE, as Brian said. For the most part, there are very few WWE superstars who people actually do not like whether as people or as performers. The issue is that creative is putting them in such a poor position week by week, month by month, mm-hmm. year by year, that we as fans aren't able to enjoy the fruits of your labor. We want your labor to be worth it. And as part of that interview with SI, he said, look, I'm in a position now these days where I do have Vince's ear and I do, I am able to argue for change. He mentioned the, the current Becky storyline, how it is something they have 100% approved. They're not doing anything in there that they together, Becky and Seth, are not approving. And it almost seemed like they wanted the crux of the angle to be the man, Becky, being the ones with the quote-unquote pants in the relationship. And Seth almost being a little bit of a second fiddle to her because they didn't want to do the typical boyfriend-girlfriend mixed tag. And that's great. And that's great. If that's the direction you're going and you have that kind of power, that's awesome. But other guys, Shinsuke Nakamura, Finn Balor, other guys don't seem to have that same type of power. And we're not getting the storylines the and the professional wrestling, the in-ring work that we as fans deserve. So I think he had every right to stand up for WWE, whether he was put up to it or not. You have every right in the world. But don't let your argument get misplaced when people come back at you and say, look, we're not insulting you. We do think you're good. But you may not be the best, Seth, because oh, yeah. Will mean, Ospreay exists and other people exist. It's also the same debate of, like, I'm sure the original McDonald's hamburger was and friggin-tastic, right? Which 100%. people were like, yeah. we need one of these hot, these burger stands on every corner in the U.S. And then by the time they get on every corner in the world, it's overcooked and and full of crap. And it is, and that's the truth, and it still has that flavor, but it, that's the key. And I think something happened here, Adam, that – and look, again – when you, it's easy for Seth to stand up when he's the number one in the company at the moment, and the chick he's dating also has the other women's belt, and they're being featured in this. Yeah, like yeah, everything's he's great really in for the you. Pos- he's in the position where it's on his shoulders to do that, right? But here's the real deal, and you might disagree with me, but here's the case: we're in the third, third boom period. Say that a lot because I mean it. And you know what has happened in the last year, Adam, as all these indies have risen to the level of almost competition, certainly critical. 
Not really commercial, but we'll see what happens down that road. Something has happened, Adam. A transaction has taken place. Here's what has happened. And I know when you hear it, you're going to go, oh, my God, you're crazy. You're so off, Brian Campbell. You're drinking the blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to explain why I'm not crazy. But here's the crazy blanket statement. Here we go. WWE main roster is no longer the undisputed major leagues of professional wrestling. Just going to let that air out. Let it let it sink in. Let that smell, that funk it, get into your nose holes, Adam. All right? Smell that ish, if you will. Okay? And I know you go, well, that's crazy. WrestleMania is the biggest stage. Yes, it's the bit that night is the biggest stage of them all. But a transaction has happened over the last year. A year and a half ago, when Nick Costos was still on the show. Maybe it was two years ago. My math can sometimes be off. You know, they say all men are created equal. No, we don't have time for that Steiner math. Get that <laughs> crap away from me. But Nick Costos, you remember that guy? Take the L and admit you're wrong. Because you sound ridiculous. I made a comment, and look, it was an emotional comment, but I made a comment one time, like, oh, my God, you know, Kenny Omega, he might actually be the best wrestler in the world. Like, you know, remember I made that comment at the time? I said, when it's all said and done. No, we you made... said ever. You said ever. Ever. And I stand by that, by the way. And all when it's all said and done, like, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, you can't say it now about him, but yet what I'm watching now, what my eyes are telling me that this is the best ever to do it, and we don't know when it's all said and done, he might be. Anyway, Nick's initial defense against that statement, Adam, was that that's great, but nobody could ever be the greatest of all time until they prove that they can do it in WWE and prove that they can have WrestleMania moments and be a worldwide star and all else that goes with the job beyond just doing seven star matches in small Japanese halls. Interesting, decent, strong point. At the time he made that point, though, Adam, it was a much stronger point. I think what has changed in the past year and a half is a transaction has taken place where, yes, commercially, WWE still the major league, still the top by far, the Super Bowl, all that. WrestleMania still matters. But they're no longer putting out the best content in the world. So the idea of somebody is the best only if they've done it in WWE, I don't think carries the same water anymore, especially in 2018 when NXT had... Arguably the best year a promotion has ever had at consistently putting out great matches and storylines. So I think the point now, Seth making this argument now almost comes off tone deaf. If you made this argument in 2017, it'd be a little different. You're like, yeah, he is on top of WWE. He is working every week. He's doing every pay-per-view. He's blah, blah, blah. Nowadays, Adam, I'm sorry. There's better work being done at these other places, these other places combined to me are the major leagues of wrestling and WWE is a boot is almost a boutique. I think the pyramid has been inverted, certainly critically, where it's not like, oh, this is great that they could do it in these small halls or these gyms or these whatevers. No, these small halls and gyms and whatevers is the stage right now. They're the ones putting out the best stuff. They are the ones who are changing the business and forcing WWE to change. WWE may have the brightest lights and the cameras, but they are no longer the main event right now of pro wrestling. So, Seth, you actually, in order to win this argument, have to outshine what they're doing because it's no longer just, well, I'm doing it in the WWE, so that makes me the best. I think it's, been cha- I think it's changed in the past year. We've seen well, a transaction. Well, there's two different arguments, though. The last thing you said, I agree with him saying just because I'm doing it in WWE makes me the best is not true at all. 
And if you talk to a lot of people, I mean, let's just bring up Meltzer for an example. He doesn't believe Ric Flair is the best wrestler of all time. He loves Masawa, right? Because he's the best work right ever of all time, and he did it for such but a long Mel- period of time. Meltzer's the trendiest of all. I'm just saying. Hipsters. I'm just. I'm just saying. So, so if for, if you're Kenny, you're live, trying to live up to that. Maybe not necessarily quote unquote Ric Flair, but to say that WWE is not the main event is wrong because if WWE tomorrow flicked the switch, True. whether it was the, the Triple H switch or the NXT switch, or, or whatever it is, if there was just a massive change in direction of product, it would dominate, and it wouldn't annihilate AEW, and it wouldn't annihilate or end New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it could get its ratings back, it could be the dominant leader in the marketplace again, and, and I say again, it still is. Its stock is still trading at 70, 80. It still sells out okay, WrestleMania Okay, you're going to talk about commercial. It, it's, it's to the point now, because of this third boom period, It's the triangle is inverted. Commercial doesn't but, matter anymore because we have no, access to No, that's not true. That, no, no, that's bull. That's bull. No, it, it actually doesn't matter. We have access to every... Is what, we have, no, two, it actually blends together because we have access to every promotion at our fingertips. So having that commercial advantage, Adam, it doesn't actually give them any kind of critical advantage. No, it doesn't give them any critical advantage, but it still gives them the commercial advantage. So it's still the like, – like, look, um, as an example, uh, the XFL, which is going to, we think, come back in 2020, it could give us a season of ridiculous football. Every game is awesome, but it still ain't the NFL. It doesn't have the appeal. It doesn't have the marketability. It doesn't have the access – to your eyeballs, not you necessarily, but the average person in this country that WWE does. So my point is, if WWE did flip that switch and the the quality was on par with the commercial availability and reach, it would easily dominate. Okay. But yes, you're not telling that, that lies ceiling there. has that ceiling has come down from them. Yes, and you're right. The pyramid has been inverted in terms of the critical appeal because of the proliferation of access to content from indies and from other organizations. All, all of what you're saying is true. I'm just saying it's two separate arguments. Well, WWE, thing, it's just, WWE, anytime they want, well, could I'm, be I'm gonna put an asterisk that main event. Argument. It's a smart argument, but here's the deal. That argument, again, would have worked better in 2017 when what WWE would do is three times a year, they would have three really bad weeks in a row and we'd panic and we'd be like, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever the reason, they'd put the train back on the tracks. Adam, in 2019... It is getting to the point now with six months of of pretty bad creative. This was not a great WrestleMania build. You cannot tell me it differently. Wasn't. No. It, was it wasn't not. bad. It wasn't bad, but it was not good. Okay, and three months in particular of horrifically bad after look, twenty seventeen I still thought was a great year. Twenty eighteen was hit or miss for WWE. Twenty nineteen has been awful. Month so, by month. Month by month. So it's not as easy now to yeah. flip that switch. And the longer that they stay stubborn the harder it will be to just flip that switch. So what I my closing statement on Seth is, if the whole argument would have had been about the commercial side, I make more money than you, I have more exposure than you, I have more Twitter followers than you, then yes, no one could ever argue but that. No but one's the making that argument. foundation though. of his argument was critical. And in 2019, the way things are set up, you can't win, Seth. Yeah, it, it was an unwinnable argument. I do agree. At the same time, I do want to leave on one point. What are WWE wrestlers really supposed to do? Are they supposed to let, you know, smart fans and wrestlers from organizations just constantly go on Twitter and shit all over their their organization, WWE, and their individual wrestlers and the shows they put on and not take any offense to it, having pride in their work? I think this is an example of someone saying, you know what? F you, I'm going to swing back. 
And maybe I don't have the best argument, but I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to stand up for the place I work. If someone took a swing at you, Brian, or took a swing at CBS Sports as an organization, I'm probably going to go on Twitter and take a shot at them too, or nah. or stand up and say, hey, and stand up and say, hey, look, you may not think what we're doing is great, but this guy works his ass off every single day. He travels all the time. He covers three different sports and he's kicking it. So I'm going to stand up and do that the same way he would. Doesn't mean I'm right, but I'm still going to do it. And I and I respect him for having the cojones to go and do that. See, I don't. I don't disrespect him for that, but I don't have the same respect level. I, I'm, maybe it's the way I'm wired. I would be more apt to go internal and say, hey, CBS bosses, this is the pulse on the outside. It may be untrue in our eyes, but this is what people are saying. Should we maybe reexamine what we're doing here? And again, I don't think there's enough of that. There's a giant blockage in the way, and he's 73 years old. And uh, look, I know people are supposedly trying. I mean, look, SmackDown was horrifically bad in my eyes. One of the worst, one of the most insulting shows I'd ever seen last night, Tuesday night. And Corey Graves, a guy I love, tweets out this morning, it's 5.01 a.m., I just got home and I'm into my bed. Trust me, we're trying. Now, when you read that, you feel for you feel for these these performers in the end. But again, it's not Corey. It's I mean, I actually do have issues with commentary, and Corey is a big part of that. But Corey, it's not your work ethic, and this is what you were saying. It's not his work ethic. It's not Seth Rollins' work ethic. It's we want your work to be worthwhile. We want you guys to bust your ass, and we want to at the end of the day say, "Hey guys, thanks for not only busting your ass." but for totally entertaining us and getting us to mark out. And the problem is they may be entertaining us or maybe trying to entertain us, but we ain't marking out and the product ain't good. And you're right. SmackDown, and we'll talk about it maybe in a little bit. SmackDown on Tuesday night, I, I think I tweeted something very similar. It's the, one of the most insulted I've been, and it showed that they are creatively bankrupt as a company. BC, before we move Wait, on, we on. do have but a You de- know who's not bankrupt is, uh, personally is Corey Graves. Did you see the Instagram photo he put out this morning, yes or no? Not this morning. I saw another one with Carmella from a couple of days ago. Okay, maybe I don't have the correct days. Uh, were they inside of a English phone booth with the sentence of a false narrative? Or I'm sorry, F a false narrative. What's no, real? That, that may be newer. I just saw there was another one like yesterday. All right, no, seven hours ago on Instagram, Corey Graves puts out a picture of him and Carmella making out inside of a phone booth with the line, F a false narrative. What's real is real. Wow, brother. Yeah, I like that. Good for him. Um, BC, we do have a DM slide if you want to hit the uh, little sound effect there. Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? It is John. No, uh, that's Brian's line. Um, but from Anthony Brown, who does DM us and tweet us a bunch, longtime listener of the State of Combat podcast. I think on today's podcast, you and Brian should both give your top 10 wrestlers of 2019. The year is halfway over. And every podcast you guys argue who is and is not in your top 10. So we did not plan this. This literally well, came well, hold in. Hold on. I got to pause you. Is he because uh, when I say my top 10, I mean my top 10 pound for pound best wrestlers in the world at this moment. Yes. I'm today. not framing it within just by their 2019 performances. Hmm. Let's let me uh, let me see his terminology because he's saying uh, he's saying of 2019. He's saying this year. Okay, okay. Because, like, I think there's a separate argument of who of who is having the best year. Like, Kenny Omega is the best wrestler in the world. He's not having the best year. No. You know, not. Will Ospreay might be having the best year or Johnny Gargano or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, I think I think I agree. And, and this is something we talk about, but it is the midway point of the year. It is a worthwhile discussion. So I think let's bring up some names, see where we agree, 
and then we'll fill out the end, right? So obviously, we'll start with Will Ospreay, who I know you're all about. I'm not all about him, but I definitely, I mean, he's a no-brainer inside my top 10. I think he's the third best wrestler in the world at this moment. Okay. I don't, but I do think he's in the top 10. Uh, Kota Ibushi is a no-brainer for me. He's the second best wrestler in the world at this moment. Okay. Uh, Look, Omega's number one, Adam. Can we get that out of the way? In, not in 2019. I, I, I mean... So he's not he said, pound for pound. You're telling me Kenny Omega is not because there's two different arguments. You're no, either no, doing it's, who, it's it's who's having in 2019. We're six months in. Who's having the best 2019? Oh, I thought we settled on doing no, no, no. In 2019, the pound for pound top ten at this moment. No, just this year. Oh, um, of work this year. That's what he's asked. Uh, all right. I can't put Kenny there. He had. Yeah, One? I mean, that's a, more of a lamer discussion. What, what this discussion really is, is like an MVP race. Who's having the best year at the midway point? So if yeah, you want exactly. to have the MVP discussion at the midway point, um, how could you not have uh, Osprey? Yep. Cole, I'm going to put I'm gonna put Daniel Bryan in there. Cole, no Gargano, and Bryan at the top. If, right? Bryan, Cole. I'm with Cole, absolutely. Gargano, absolutely. Uh, <sighs> trying to think. Women. Um well, WWE really hasn't. I'm sorry. There's no way. I mean, there's not. They they've. Dude, it's dude. It's fifty fifty booking right now. I mean, be, the I, mean I would put everyone. Becky in the top ten. I think I, dude, she of did the top great. 10. She did amazing from September to December, and then just kind of was watered down this whole year. Yeah, but we're. I mean, look. Yet won two championships in a watered down fashion. It's sort of what they do right now. Yeah, you we s- only have five though so far, and she is carrying the. She's carrying the division on the mic. She's still keeping up. You know, her end of the bargain, I guess, is the best way I can put it. She did have the moment at WrestleMania. She did have the moment uh, with Charlotte in the ladder match with Asuka. I mean, I mean if we're going to be honest, then Okada's got to be in the top four. I mean, he won back I'll put Okada in there. IWGP at the Garden in, in such an important show during Mania Weekend and almost won the weekend, I, in a sense. I think I honestly think we put Chris Jericho in there, too. I agree with you on that. I agree completely on that. I mean that that's an that's an okay discussion in terms of the MVP. I mean Osprey is jumping off the map and it, and he's been active and he's having amazing matches with every person at every given turn. Daniel Bryan was a very strong choice, the best WWE ro- main roster choice available, Absolutely. consistent about, across the board. About, Dude, he about, had a promo of the year during the Stomping Grounds pre-show. That's probably his fourth best of this calendar year. Yet probably belongs in like the final ballot. He's legit had five promos of the year already. It's going to be really tough for us to kind of parse those at the end of the year. What about uh, Kofi? Yes, that's a that's a that's a miss on me. Yes, Kofi is right there behind Dan O'Brien because here's the deal. Again, Jack Crosby and I have some great discussions. I got to get Jack Crosby back on the show. He has some, we have some great discussions, and you know, I was pissed by how SmackDown ended in Tuesday, but he's put this, the silver lining and was kind of like, "But dude, Kofi's had this insanely good title run," and I argue that. It's not insanely good because the booking's so bad around it terrible, that it yeah. just it, it it just irritates me. It disgusts me. It makes me upset. And it makes me violently ill to my stomach. Yet he has performed in the ring insanely well through all those play-in matches to get himself into that WWE title match, and then on a work rate level, carrying them the last month, wrestling too much, but carrying them, yeah, he's in this discussion as well for he, MVP. He, re- he really is. He really is. And I actually, I mean, I probably would put Rollins in there at 10. Um, I'd put Rollins or Becky in there because you do have to give the credit for the the work, the consistency, um, kind of carrying their respective divisions, especially with Roman, even though there is the wild card rule, and we'll get to that. But with Roman out of the way, and especially during 
his the recurrence of leukemia, and Rollins really stepping up into that role. Can we have a real talk on Rollins real quick, though? Yeah. Some people may not want to hear this. Um, the, Rollins believes there's certain things in life that are guaranteed. There's only a few things in life that are certain. Death, taxes, and Seth Rollins beats Roman Reigns every single time. Well, there's a fourth thing, Seth, that's guaranteed. And I don't like that I have to say this, because, by the way, Seth, your 2015 run as heel champion, in the modern history books of one of the best stretches of this decade for WWE. Your yeah. comeback is great. You're great in the ring. When you had that stretch last year where Silver King thought you were best in the world, you were amazing. But where we are right now in 2019, the fourth thing that's certain is that Seth Rollins is going to wrestle the same match every single match, except for that time against AJ Styles. And it's starting to water him down because we see too much of him in the ring. They, that has been a crutch over the past year and a half. Oh, if when in doubt, Seth Rollins will wrestle 27 minutes on Raw, and that'll save that time slot. And it's watered down the impact of actually seeing him in a big match. And I don't want to be this hash, this truther of hashtag Rollins wrestles the same match every time, but it's kind of becoming true. Well, that's WWE wrestlers in general. I okay, mean, if, well, if that's why he's not in this top five right now. He's not having. Yeah, I don't know. That match with AJ was pretty sick, though. I mean, it just showed what he can do if the reins are taken off. That was a great match. You know, like AJ on a pound for pound level, I think is is the highest ranking WWE person right now. You know, or maybe Gargano's just ahead of him in terms of a pound for pound ranking right now. But yet, Styles booking is not consistently there. That I I wouldn't have him in this MVP. I wouldn't have him anywhere near this MVP discussion. Well, even Styles' title reign was way too long. It just never ended, and it was to prop him up, which was good. But at the same time, they never built any other stars. Like, they looked into – we don't really talk about this enough. They looked into AJ Styles as a main event star. He debuted. The fans were behind him from New Japan, and it took off. And they turned him heel, and it really worked with Cena. That feud was great, and he took off. They all they obviously started him with Jericho. I left that out. Um, oh, and they gave but, him Roman for two great things. The difference was the booking yeah. was great. And do you remember great. the promos they would do? Even though AJ is not a great promo guy, the promos he was doing opposite Roman and Cena were great. There was thought put into it. It wasn't trope, trope, trope. And even though the matches with Nakamura didn't live up to our expectations, they weren't what we wanted, that was still good. The feud with Samoa Joe was still good, but all the stuff in between was just so watered down and weak. And like I said... He should have probably lost the title to Joe or Nakamura or someone. It's WWE has really failed to create other new main event stars. And that's one of the reasons they're struggling so much. They're not giving people enough reasons to watch and feel like if things are different, we will get to that. I think we came up, BC, you and I, with eight we totally agree on. We probably won't agree on the last two. But I got Osprey, Ibushi, Daniel Bryan, Cole, Gargano, Okada, Jericho, Kofi, and we could probably throw Naito in there too. Dream, and get Dream as well. I mean, look, I mean, or, Naito, you know, Dream. Or pick yeah. your NXT flavor of the moment, whether you love Riddle, whether you love Dream. I mean, they're all having insane years where it's just so much fun to watch them and their matches are fantastic. Uh, before we roll out of this, I had a thought when we were talking about, okay, WWE Creative was still really good in 2017, a little bit right. hit or miss in 2018, 2019, a debacle. Are we... Uh, look, the way we think we know how the WWE creative process works, and again, we don't always really know. We get bits and pieces from disgruntled people that exit the company. But I think we look at it as an assembly line of smart people and a giant Vince stamp at the end that ruins a lot of it. But are we underscoring how key the losses were of key talent members, I mean, of key creative members, starting with the Jimmy Jacobs exit through the idea of Arn Anderson being stripped of power and let go. Uh, what's the other guy? Uh, Malenko being let go. Uh, no, he, he left. He left. Road yeah. Dog 
you know what I'm saying? Like now across the board, one after another of guys who were in key spots at times where the booking wasn't always great, but it was at least hit or miss and the hits would hit. And now Adam, it's miss every single time. Are we not realizing that they have taken the guys who maybe stood up and said, this ain't good. What are we doing? And just either forced them out or got them in frustrated well, enough where they left on their own. And is that part of the problem right now where we just think, oh, it's Vince, it's Vince, it's Vince. Maybe there's not a, a, a cabinet anymore of the, of the geniuses and maybe well, it's all young guys or something. Well, I think we're lumping all those things together when they were all for different reasons. Jimmy Jacobs, I think, if I remember correctly. And right, but it's not about it, the reasoning about that. No, 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 but, no, but I want to get it clear, though. You know, got fired for, you know, an Instagram picture. Yeah, he did Arn that Anderson purpose. reportedly let someone show up drunk and wrestle. Dean Malenko left on his own volition. Road Dog, same. Decided, hey, like, I'm an, I'm done with this stress packet of being the lead creative for SmackDown. I'm going to go work with Triple H and Shawn Michaels, my friends down in NXT. I don't think all of those or even most of those are major losses, but I think losing Road Dog after WrestleMania was a huge loss. And look, two years ago— Wait, hold on, but you say to- they're not major losses, but when you group them together, we just said when they were all there in 2017— it was great. Now they're not there. It's but horrific. Things were bad. Things were bad before this started. Um, I think Road Dog himself is the biggest loss. I think he had some cachet with Vince McMahon where he, you know, maybe pushed things through that Vince otherwise wouldn't have listened to another younger, less experienced, less familiar person about. But let's not forget also, they did just bring back Bruce, who apparently has Vince's ear more than anyone all time, arguably. Him, Cornette, a couple others, right? Bruce is back. And we saw when he first came back, like, oh, wow, things look to be a little better. And then they just got worse and worse and worse. Let's also not forget they hired a bunch of people from, like, Impact and TNA when their content was not good, when they were really on the downward turn. And now they're in WWE. And what are we seeing? We also have Dana Warrior, apparently, in some women's creative position, which, hey, I know Ronda's gone. I understand there's less of a, of a focus on the women's division without Ronda. But man, that has taken a tumble on the fact, and we will get to it, that we have Lacey Evans like her fourth month in a row in a main event spot on Raw. Give me a freaking break. I want to shut this stuff off! All right, BC, we have a lot more show left before we get to it. You know what we got to do. We got to hear from our friends and sponsors. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right, BC, we are back. We let a lot of animosity out there at the start of the show. Let's move on to stomping grounds. We didn't really, no instant analysis, obviously. It's a small pay-per-view. We have a lot to discuss about it. The good, the bad. And the ugly and truth, there is all three, but we did have an unknown to me correspondent at the show that I believe we want to hear from. Look, here's the deal. This is a little bit long, but when you are number one on the Mount Rushmore wall, mountain, if you will, of state of combat, and you have shown up at multiple WrestleManias with signs with our names on it, 
You can come on this show and blade and just bleed into a microphone if you want, and I will let you do that. The great Tristan Adelano of Portland, Oregon. He's our North American correspondent. We, of course, have Omar Al-Rashid on that other continent down down below, down south. But here's Omar Al-Rashid. No, here's Tristan <laughs> Adelano giving it to you from Stomping Grounds. What's going on, guys? This is Tristan Atilano, the inaugural Mount Rushmore winner, and I'm here just to provide a little in-depth analysis this past Sunday's stomping ground card taking place from a jam-packed Tacoma Dome. Uh, yeah, I made the drive up from Portland, about two-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, I don't know how that uh, crowd translated over the network on TV, but uh, being there in person, man, that was that crowd was damn hot fire, man. It was nuts. Uh, I've been to multiple manias, multiple pay-per-views, and... Um, haven't heard a crowd like that, maybe ever. Um, it was uh, as good as if or better than WrestleMania <laughs> to steal a line from WWE. Um, yeah, I thought the probably the best match was the opener, the 205 Live uh, three-way. Uh, BC, I know you and I exchanged a few DMs about that, and uh, I think we both agree that was probably the best match on the card. Um, I thought the Owens... Uh, Zane versus New Day tag match was really good. Um, I actually might be in the minority here, but I thought the uh, Becky or uh, Becky um, uh, Lacey Evans match was really good. A um, couple botches, but if you take those out, thought it was pretty good. And I also really liked the uh, Alexa and Bailey match. Um, I felt like the uh, the card kind of took a dip at that Roman. Uh, Drew McIntyre match, which I actually enjoyed, and uh, I totally disagree with that C rating you guys gave it on uh, CBS. I think that was a solid B match, but uh, maybe that was just being there. You know, it felt a little bit different than it did over uh, over the uh, network. Um, but yeah, I, I think at that point the crowd died a little bit, um, and then the uh the cage match was it was so so but uh it really the finish kind of saved it i felt like um and then that main event man that thing sucked i mean let's be let's be real man uh baron corbin's not a main eventer um i thought the uh storytelling aspect of the match was good as far as tying the two storylines together uh with lacy and becky and seth and baron but man nobody wants that and uh I see they're going back to a uh, mixed tag match at the next pay-per-view, and and the crowd's probably going to crap all over it, let's be honest. I mean, I think uh, they just haven't ever presented Baron Corbin as a real challenger, and I think that's kind of the same thing with Dolph. Um, You know, he's kind of in and out of the scene. Um, He's never been presented as a main eventer, really, so to put him in that spot and expect the crowd to pop, it's uh, it's asking a little too much. I thought the also the Ricochet Joe match was uh, was probably the second best best match on the card, and a really surprising finish as well. A uh, really cool finish, really cool moment as well. Um, I don't know if I I believe they showed it on the network, but how he went backstage and and everybody was back there clapping. It kind of made the the moment feel a little a little bigger than it maybe initially would have been without that. But um, yeah, man, not much. Not too much more to add. Went to SmackDown tonight. Uh, good show. Not a good show. Developed some storylines. Did not Push the needle a little no forward. Needles. But 
little hit and miss as far as any action miss. went. Uh, but yeah, nothing more thank to you, add. Um, thank you, thank you. He's going to ramble on at the end. Uh, he did say a lot of truths in there, though. I mean, is this guy trying to, to do the show for us? Or I, I think no. he is. You can't stop him, though, Adam. I will. <laughs> if, no. if gun to my head, he's taking your chair. All right. Maybe your soul. Maybe your organs. Go ahead. What do you got? Okay, I'm gonna make believe you didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's the thing. I think whenever you're in attendance live at a show, it it not always, but it can, especially if it starts hot, come off better than it actually is. But I mean, we agree in general with him. The thesis of look, Stomping Grounds was pretty good, bordering on great up until a certain point, and we've kind of also said that. BC and I about the last three WrestleManias, like they, they start out and you're like, Oh my God, this is a classic. They are like, they understood that this is uh, a move, a show they moved from, from San Jose to Tacoma because of Saudi Arabia. They did no promotion on it. The matches have the opportunity to deliver, but the storylines are super weak, but you know what? Let's go out there and give them a sick show and shut everyone up. And halfway through that show, BC, that's how I felt. And I know you felt the same way we were talking about it. And we both also tweeted, like, something has changed in WWE. Yeah, and I deleted that tweet because they made me, by oh, the way. Oh, you deleted it? Oh, because okay. people are hitting me up going, you're crazy, you're crazy. And by the time people are reading it, yes, I'm right, crazy. Right. Um, just to interrupt, you're right about WrestleMania, but the difference at WrestleMania is they tend to peter out because they're overbooked and they're too long. Yeah, long. This was a, a change in the flavor, right? Like if you, like a, an actual physical change in how it was presented. We were like, the first half you and I are talking, we're like, man, this feels like a Triple H show. Like this is great. It just feels different. That backstage moment with Ricochet, Tristan nailed it. It was special. It almost felt like Triple H was giving a sign to people that like, I'm in control. I'm booking this thing. And that triple threat match on the pre-show with the cruiserweights was great as expected. Yep. But yes, things changed at the midway point. And I want to hit on something Tristan said. He was right. The crowd was on fire. And like I, in the end, and you, I think rightfully crapped on the booking in the Roman Drew McIntyre match. Oh, like, God. Like, again, we're going oh, back to God. the well on Super Cena. Are you kidding me? Yet, you know what, Adam? That crowd was on fire. And here's yeah. the deal. When you're there, I've said it before, whether you're there for a Raw or SmackDown or whatever or a house show, you want great wrestling and you don't even really care about storylines because it's a visual thing that you can feel when you're in the arena. So I don't doubt that Roman Reigns' comeback in that match and all the swerves and the near falls did produce great feelings. The problem is WWE always books to the live crowd. They pander to the live crowd. That's why when they come back from commercial with a stupid forced six or eight man tag on Ron SmackDown, and we're just like, what the hell? The crowd often still pops the finish because you're seeing live wrestling. You can't play to those people, though. They're a small chunk of 16,000 compared to the millions that are turning the channel off or not watching the pay-per-view to begin with. So I don't know if WWE, all their creative people are always in the arena and they go, oh, man, we hit a home run again tonight. People love the Roman finish. Oh, those people on the internet must be the dumb smarks who you can never please, who will never love Roman. No, the live crowd paid a ticket and you entertain them. But this is television. It's about making me happy for my $9.99 every month. Not that guy who one time paid you 30 bucks to bring his kid and bought a merch shirt. Get out of here. There is nothing I want more than to mark out for Roman Reigns. 
I want WWE to build Roman Reigns in such a way that I, as a smart, you know, smarmy, whatever you want to call type of fan, have no choice. I want you to give me no choice but to love your storytelling and your booking to such a degree that even I love Roman Reigns. I wanted the same thing with John Cena. It's what we all want. But if the guy never freaking loses and always kicks out of finishers and is all, and is now, all right, I don't want to spoil the next segment, but is getting help from The Undertaker. You're giving oh us God. zero opportunity for him to be down for an extended period of time. And I don't mean for 10 minutes in a match. I mean for months. And then come back up. And I'm not going to go through it again, but the real-life leukemia was an opportunity for WWE when Roman Reigns came back to reset things. They failed to do it at WrestleMania to a, to a degree where the match was terrible and the booking was even worse. And then they finally had the opportunity to do it here. And I said to you on our preview show, I know it's not going to happen. There is zero chance. But if I'm making a prediction and I'm putting it out into the universe, I want Drew McIntyre to win this match. There was no reason, none, that Drew McIntyre didn't win that match. Yep. It would have been massive heel heat. They could have had a rematch at Extreme Rules with a stipulation. Roman could have gone over and continued his way to the title. Like, it would have worked. He hasn't won anything. They built him up to be this main eventer twice. They built him up Loses in the past. Six. He hasn't won anything at all. It's so Loses. frustrating. One thing. Now, Tristan's a great guy, by the way. Love that man. One of the best guys you'll ever meet. Huge hog. One thing he didn't mention was how great that Daniel Bryan Rowan match was against Heavy Machinery. And that was the end, I thought, of the Triple H style booking where you're like, oh my God, they put over Heavy Machinery in a way that, like, I actually feel like they're stars. Like, I actually care about them in a match that it could have been a squash. And I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. And it was like genius booking. So something changed along the way, Adam. And the rest of that show felt like all Vince McMahon or felt like whoever's booking nowadays. And uh, sometimes when you're in the arena, it makes a match better, and sometimes it makes it worse. And it's really kind of weird or hit or miss. Along with the singles, singles build to WrestleMania, his time as champion, the character change, all the promo work, that match is an example of why I will make an argument, if he continues on this path at year's end, for Daniel Bryan being the best in 2019. What he did and what Rowan did in that match, putting heavy machinery over, the booking, the way they were allowed to play that off, allowing heavy machinery to have maybe their best match in all of WWE, WWE and NXT and Daniel Bryan getting that out of them. He did what you're supposed to do as a heel and what we want more from WWE heels. We don't always want heels winning cheap. We don't always want them winning with interference or cheating, but we want them to put the faces over and have them look like stars and then still figure out a way to win in the end. And that's what Daniel Bryan did. And you know what? We're also overlooking the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn match against New Day, which really had no reason for being on the show outside of it was like maybe tying up what we thought were loose ends, but apparently not because we're continuing it on SmackDown on Tuesday um, and on Raw on Monday also. Uh, but at least that match was incredible. And it shows you when you leave these guys somewhat to their own devices. We love Big E. We love Xavier. We love Sammy. We love Kevin Owens. They can put on a hell of a show, and yeah, those guys put on a hell of a show. Yeah, get the hell out of their way. Um, we have to talk about this finish. Um, Which one? The main event. It sucked hard, Adam. It really, I thought to me, it was a, like, I mean, Tristan kind of was being judicious, and he's right. Storytelling-wise, it wasn't awful, but you teased Brock forever, and they you teased, teased. They teased someone who is not a regular member of the roster. And you teased that. 
you really set it up for us to believe that the special guest referee was going to be either Paul Heyman or Brock. Now, in hindsight, there's that's flawed. Why would Baron Corbin want either of those two guys to be the special guest referee? He wants to win the championship. He doesn't want to lose it. So it's just one of those things where, like, in theory on paper, bringing in a woman who Seth wouldn't beat up and bringing in Lacey Evans, who has a feud with Seth's girlfriend, not actually the worst idea ever. And it wasn't that it was so poorly executed. It just... He was kind of right. Baron Corbin's improved a lot, but they didn't make me believe him as a main eventer. Everyone's a victim of 50-50 booking now. And in the end, when that played out for your main event and you want to send us home happy, maybe there's some people who Beth, Becky and Seth walking off together made them happy. But for me, I was waiting for Brock to run in at any possible second to save the show. And when he didn't, I'm like, this is where we're going in 2019. I, I don't want to be here. This is sports entertainment to the core. I don't want it. To go to your Roman point, the fans hated the match, hated the, the surprise, loved the finish. That crowd went nuts when Becky came out, and it was a hot finish. You know, this isn't a unique take, but they probably should have had Becky put Lacey in the disarmor so that she's literally tapping one, two, three while Seth gets the pin. It's a better finish. Maybe a little bit of over the edge 98, which is where I really thought we were going, um, where like Lacey would get knocked out and Seth would pin Corbin and then use her arm for the one, two, three, like Austin did McMahon against. Ah, it's slipping me. I forgot who he fought. Damn. Uh, okay. Sorry. I, I lost that. But over the edge 98, that was the match. Um, so I just kind of wished that it went one of those directions. Here's the thing. This is why it was such a big issue. Michael Cole telegraphed Lacey Evans as the special guest referee all show. There were four or five occasions on that show where he referred to Becky and or Seth as the other's boyfriend and or girlfriend. He kept mentioning it. They were building it up Monday on Raw, the go home show, which you and I liked very much as well. Now, it wasn't so much in my head that it would be Lacey, but as it started getting late in the show and they had Becky and Lacey on first, that was another key. It kind of became obvious it wasn't going to be a man. Because if it was going to be a man, Seth was going to hit them with the chair. So then it had to be a woman. And if it was going to be a woman, Lacey Evans made the most sense. The problem, the, number two, the other problem, is WWE took two storylines where they have people challenging for main event titles, the, the Raw Women's Championship and the Universal Championship, that are not just heels, but the fans are sick of and probably don't deserve to be in those respective spots. And this is coming from someone who really likes Baron Corbin. And they have the distaste of the Becky and Lacey feud and the distaste of the Seth Rollins-Baron Corbin feud and the bright idea, the light bulb that went off in Vince McMahon's head is, you know what? Let's jam them together. And that doesn't make for a good match at Extreme Rules. You know, when, and when, when she finally lost to Becky, when Lacey did... I was like, okay, they're not putting Lacey over. That was the end of her first yeah. first feud. It was for the title. And you know what? Let's all in on. all, she she did well. Now let's see where she goes next. Oh, no, she's going back to the main event. No. No. Like, what if, what if they brought Sasha back for that moment? Same moment. And then Sasha and – we wouldn't love it, but Sasha and Baron Corbin team up. Oh my God. You know and what? Then, and then have Becky and Sasha in each other's face. Adam, we would have. And then at Extreme Rules, instead of making it a winner take all, 
you say whoever gets the pinfall gets the title. If any of the, either of the challengers do it, and you have like Rollins accidentally bump into Becky or something like that, or 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 Corbin does whatever, and you have Sasha pin Becky, and the heels win the match, and then you start for SummerSlam a Sasha Banks and Becky feud. You're that, you're accomplishing. Smart. The same goal without repeating Lacey Evans. And you know, we would have exited stomping grounds, fired up that fired Sasha up. was back and being used. And here's the thing. When Seth Rollins comes out with those tweets like he did before this card, there's pressure put on him. Do you know what I actually thought was going to happen when I first saw him tweet that out and Roman retweeted him? I thought they were going to come out with a work rate pay-per-view that was going to steal my heart and remind me that if they want to and if they choose to, the main roster at any time could be doing what everybody else around the world was doing. So then to come out with an entirely sports entertainment finish and then to go in into Monday and Tuesday and now tell me that the next pay-per-view is a mixed tag team match, maybe main event where the titles are at stake and the psychology so backwards that Seth would allow his title to be at stake to Baron, who has no business getting another title shot. And, and Lacey, who has no business getting Lacey, another who has even shot. less business after two clean losses. Really? And I, I read on some dirt sheets the other day online that, that the next WWE title could be a mixed tag team championship title. Adam, I want nothing to do with that. Not the concept. Mixed tag, by the way. Miz and Maurice against John and Nikki. That was fun. It actually worked for a mania. I don't hate your mixed match team challenge thing. It's not for me. I'm not going to watch it, but I don't hate that every year you would have a championship of that tournament and you'd put it on a pay-per-view. That's fine. You can tell stories this way. This is not a story I want to tell. Baron and Lacey together do not make a credible foil. And I have got a friend who listens to our show, Chris Mettler, big time boxing fan on Twitter as well, the CM program. He's been all over my DM since day one saying, I don't believe Seth and Becky are a real couple. This seems too staged, too perfect. When they, they get their own season of of total uh, total Rollins coming up, you'll see that. I'm not here to tell you whether or not they're real. That's not I don't care either. Really, that's not my business. But there are elements of this double push that feel like it's forced. They've been dating since February and been best friends for a long time before that. Uh, so conspiracy theories aside, I mean, I don't I don't really prescribe to that anyway. Um, it's just. Look, WWE, their biggest issue right now, and this will kind of take us into the third part of our main event, which is where WWE is going right now. For me, it's all about overcompensation. So fans wanted certain people to win titles, right? We wanted Seth Rollins to be back on top instead of Roman. We wanted Kofi Kingston to get the mountaintop moment. We wanted Becky Lynch to win at WrestleMania. And WWE delivered those things. But they're overcompensating. When you look at the fact that right now, as we enter, th we're three weeks after Mania, sorry, three, three months after Mania, moving into Extreme Rules, heading towards SummerSlam season, and all six main roster singles champions are faces. All of them. Which tells you a couple things. One, they are doing a horrible job building heels. And two, they have done an even worse job creating new or enhancing stars to put them into mid-card and main event slots. The fact that we are, on a week-by-week -week basis, watching five hours of TV and seeing a quarter of WWE's main roster is a joke. They overcompensated with the faces as champions. They overcompensated with the wild-card rule where now it's just over. I mean, now the brand split is over. They just have titles that are primarily defended on separate brands. The fact that we have, Brian, Samoa Joe, who could have 
easily been Seth Rollins' next challenger for Extreme Rules. Kick the hell out of him. Chairs match. Done. Booking. Hey, WWE, that took me 30 seconds, okay? He could have easily been Seth Rollins' next challenger. Instead, he's a Raw guy challenging for another SmackDown title. We have Alexa Bliss getting another opportunity at Bayley as a Raw woman going for a SmackDown women's title. They, they, un- they understand that we want stars, but there is a refusal for them to build, create, and promote new ones. And I'm going to say maybe with the exception of Ricochet, because they put him in that U.S. title spot, but that's like one guy. And then they watered them down with 50-50 booking the next night. Immediately. And, and then they watered down three other champions. You know, in a two-night stretch, they had three yep. champions lose non-title matches, which, again, you want to water down your champions? Have them consistently lose when the title's not on the line. That is a special storyline that you would go to every once, once in, a in a while. while. Yet we do that every week. I want to shout out our guy, Jamie Mazowskis. He's a CBS Sports social producer, a cameraman for us when we go on the road for WWE, at Mazowskis on Twitter. During Raw, he came out with having all these champions on both shows really waters down the value of all the belts. And that's amazingly true. And it's like, holy crap right now. During this, we're not going to end the brand split, so we're going to create a stupid wildcard rule that makes no sense. We're going to basically take the eight most popular wrestlers that we have shove them down your throat and then yep. take Shane McMahon and shove him up the backside. And what he's saying is we had nine matches at stomping grounds, Adam. What was it? Like seven of them were for a title. Um, Yes. If you have a, if you have champions on both shows yet, the champions of both shows regularly wrestle on both shows. You have twice the amount of champions at minimum that you need. No title matters. Because everybody does 50-50 booking. And if every match on a pay-per-view is a title match, what the hell are we doing? Well, it's it's the fact that because everything's 50-50 booking and because they show the same people every week and every month, that's why it's an issue. Like, Finn wasn't on this pay-per-view. And as much as I missed him, because I love Finn Balor and I love the Intercontinental Championship, you know what they did? The one thing that WWE really did right this week, they showed us, hey, Finn's back. He has a new challenger. We're going to play this out over the next three weeks into Extreme Rules. So now I'm excited to see the the Intercontinental Championship. I'm curious what they're going to be doing with that. So I've said it – if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. WWE people always talk the roster's too big. It's not. It's the insistence from the company, even during the brand split but not as much, much more now. It's the insistence now that we are struggling in ratings a little bit. It's not our creative. We're smart. We're booking stuff great. We don't have enough stars on both shows. But Brian, there is a lot that actually happened this week in WWE, despite us not liking most of it. And we don't want to spend the whole show crapping on them. But we do have we do have some things to talk about as WWE takes us out of stomping grounds and moves us on this build to extreme rules. And really, it's just a bunch of booking decisions. I got to know where you stand. And, you know, I'll come back as well. But hey, Monday night on Raw to everyone's legitimate surprise and a capacity crowd of like 4,000 people, The Undertaker returned, saved Roman Reigns from a coast-to-coast that, quick aside, Shane, I don't maybe hate you as much as everyone else does, but you are not athletic enough these days at this age to hit the coast-to-coast. You ain't hitting it anymore. You're kicking guys in like the nuts. Like, you're going, you gotta go for the face like Van Damme did, and you can't make it all the way across the ring. Okay, 
Aside from that, are you talking about wait? Are you talking about Shane's coast to coast from Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday? Because at this point, Adam, it's it's out of control. Okay, it's out of control. But but out of all of this, we have Roman Reigns who just beat Drew McIntyre on Sunday, now getting beat down in a handicap match, which Sunday wasn't, but it basically was. And then the Undertaker shows up, looked decent, but came out of nowhere. Brian Silver King thinks of two words here: pure desperation is it anything other than that and the ultimate thrill ride will be your spit it out spit it out mark um (laughs) desperate good good lord adam how what kind of balls and nerve do they have in 2019 still doing this and by the way even if you are a giant taker mark did you see how bad those choke slams were how just horrifically bad it would be like uh michael jordan at age 60 playing pickup hoops and like laying it in you know on the on the fast break it was just bad like get the hell out of here there were at least seven legitimate moments this week on wwe programming that made me want to turn off my tv and go why am i doing this what like what is what is here for me adam when the hell is enough going to be enough for The Undertaker? It would be different if they brought him back only for Mania. And again, if you took that Saudi showdown with Goldberg and put it as the fourth match on Mania, we would not hate it. We would say, thank you, Taker. Well, that match we still would have hated, but only, the idea of it, we wouldn't have hated. Only right. they cannot stop. Normally he appears and it makes no sense storyline. Then they shove the Saudi thing twice down our throat, including... Bring wasting Shawn Michaels' bald comeback to that, but to now bring him and just shamelessly, desperately insert him into a overcooked and overbooked and Silver King approved convoluted feud to begin with, with Roman against Shane and Drew, and then you stick him in there as like this difference maker who's going to come back. The old sheriff is back in town to even the sides out. Like, when is enough enough, Adam? Like, we talked about this on that great DM question in the past few weeks. When should have he retired? At the very least, when he lost to Reigns, we should have never seen him again. Stop the madness. If this ends up being an Extreme Rules pay-per-view match, you have lost your ish, WB. It's booked. It's booked. God, good Lord. What a load of crap. I mean, it's get just, the hell out of my life. No. It just, it just makes no storyline sense. It's like Reigns has now beaten Drew twice and beaten Elias once. Yeah, he didn't beat Shane, but they didn't really follow up on that booking other than Shane adding these visions of grandeur, you know, uh, after beating Reigns by accident almost at Super Showdown with McIntyre's help. But Reigns never loses. So in what world does he need help from a guy of the Undertaker's age and in kayfabe skill level to beat Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. A copy and paste. It, we need cheers to make this this feud that it won't end. That makes no sense. That all we're going to do is put over Roman anyway. Oh, we'll get Taker and sacrifice his pop for this. Pop. It's God get the like get out of my life. WWE. He, look, anyone that's listening to this show that is sick of you and I being mad and upset at this and just goes, look, guys, enjoy it for what it is. No. I don't know. No, I'm done. This sucks. The only thing I could say is if Taker was so embarrassed by the Goldberg match that he went to Vince and said, Vince, I can't let that be my last match in WWE. 
I want to do the Roman Reigns match again at SummerSlam this year, and I want him to retire me. No, and no, no, listen, it. just listen to me. Just listen to me. And if he came back and did something similar in this moment and chokeslammed those two and then took advantage of Reigns and beat the hell out of Reigns as well, and they built for the next two months Reigns, Undertaker at SummerSlam, and the Undertaker actually did retire, I would at least understand. I still wouldn't like it. I would understand. But for him to come back for a tag team match that should be no better than like the third match on the card at Extreme Rules, a mid-level pay-per-view, granted it's in Philly, so a good venue, but for this to happen and for them to book this and think, yeah, they, they listen, I said it a minute ago. WWE thinks their problem is star power. It's not. It's creative. So bringing in a star with terrible creative doesn't and solve your freaking problem. Star and he's all, when when will the ultimate thrill ride actually happen so it can be his last ride? Adam, you know when people you know what debates I never get into when people go, "All right, let's let's talk." How much money would it take for you to eat a crap sandwich? Like actually eat defecation. <laughs> and I'm, you know what I always say? They're like, you wouldn't do it for three million? Think of how your life could change. You know what my answer every time is? No, no money. I would never do it. I, you could offer me everything and I'd turn it down. I have respect for myself. I'm not doing that. There's a lot of those categories. Yet, wait, wait, you know I'm, what? I'm Adam? offering you a, wait, hold on. I'm offering you a billion dollars to eat a crap. Not sandwich. gonna do it. And I mean that. And I'm not trying to be some patriot or some martyr or some hero. It it does not interest me. Will not do that. Not gonna do it, George Bush. Thank you. So here's the deal. Yet with that <laughs> said, Adam, let's look at our bodies right now. Okay? Yeah, we're gross. Hit the zipper sound effect. Um I'm not really doing much these days with the with the middle toe on my left foot. If you said BC, and I'm and I mean this, Adam. I could give up the middle toe on my left foot and you could guarantee me that I'd be put out for the surgery, that it'd be paid for, and I would never see Mark Calloway or Mayor Glenn <laughs> Jacobs on WWE television again, short of a Hall of Fame ceremony. I'm giving up that middle toe. I'm flipping both off during the surgery with the middle toe, and then we're removing it. Adam, is that like if it has to get to that point? Do you remember? You don't remember because you weren't alive yet. It was probably 1984. We know what happened then. 1984, brother. When you were still pooping in your diapers, dude. People forget that on WWE TV in like 87, superstar Billy Graham had leg surgery, and they showed the surgery. It was like disgusting and out of place. And it was like, what are you guys doing? Because they really wanted to put him over as like this baby face. Show the sur- show my surgery on the network. <laughs> Get Dr. Andrews. We'll do it in Alabama. Let's go. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I think is funny about Taker. And I'm not saying you would feel this way. But I know others would. If Taker showed up a double or nothing. Or Taker shows up in an AEW TV taping. People would lose their minds. And they'd be going, oh my God, The Undertaker left WWE. And he's going to have a match outside of WWE for the first time ever. People would lose their minds. It's not Undertaker. It's the fact that WWE, when they do bring him back, puts him in these horrible positions with bad booking, bad storytelling, and they're not allowing the natural moments that occurred, him losing to Lesnar, him losing to Roman Reigns, to be the natural end yeah, they don't care. of his career. We got to move on because they don't care. We know what's going wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So guess I, what? I, now you have two matches that I cannot watch on your show. That mixed tag and the mixed tag with the prime guy and the geriatric guy. So I'm sorry. I'm not watching Extreme Rules. Thank you. G1. Yeah, you'll, you'll watch it. No, you're going to watch it. Um, 
I'll, I'm going to move on. We were going to talk about the mixed tag main event. We kind of already did that. I don't think there's much more to say. Bailey Alexa Bliss rematch, same. I did want to say something about the Samoa Joe Kofi Kingston thing. Listen, I, I'm of two minds of this, right? On one hand, I am fired up for this match. You know I love Samoa Joe. I love Samoa Joe with titles. I liked him with the U.S. title. I don't love the way they did it with Mysterio, though now if this was their long-term booking, it at least makes sense. They wanted him to move on to a world title level. They had to take the title off of him. Why not have that title vacant in the match against Ricochet? I don't know. Whatever. Let's move on. But there's two things that really bother me. I said one earlier. Joe should be challenging Rollins for the title. He's a Raw character. That match would be just as good. But the second is, you have Dolph Ziggler come back with a new character. And the matches with Kofi, the Super Showdown match, was not good. The Steel Cage match at Stomping Grounds not good. was average. Not good. It was, it was average. The finish was cool. Kofi diving out of the cage like that, I've never seen that before. Okay. Then you have Dolph. Two days later, in a two out of three falls match, which we'll talk about that concept, How about we in don't? the main event of SmackDown, and for as bad as that concept was, the match was very good. It was their best match together since Dolph Ziggler's return, but you have him lose a third straight time to Kofi. Why did you bring this guy back if all you're going to have him do is lose? And why put him in that match with Kofi in the main, of Sm- main event of SmackDown if the end result was that he wasn't going to get added to this title match. Or why have him open SmackDown delivering the same promo he's delivered the past four weeks, basically, of you don't deserve this, you're nothing yeah. on your own, even though, by the way, Dolph, you've now lost to him twice, and WWE management is approving you getting another chance to work your way into the into their match. And by the way, of course we all expected him to have won that. You want to know why? Because that would have been the fourth in a two-day period of world champions losing non-title matches. I mean, uh, so well, what Kofi did we did, cheer that Kofi it didn't did, happen? Kofi did eat a pin off a simple super kick. And by the way, Kofi's now 21-0, and 0, okay, since winning the, the title at WrestleMania. Has not lost a match, but he ate a worthless pin against Dolph. And, and on top of this, Adam, they introduced the Samoa Joe feud brilliantly on Monday. One of the better thing they've done yeah. in a horrific week. Kofi selling it with the spit coming out of his mouth. It reminded me of, how about this for the old heads? WrestleMania 2, when Jake the Snake Roberts put the snake on former football player George Wells, and Wells was foaming from the mouth, and it was disgusting. Yep. It was great. It was like that. And then guess what happens on Tuesday? Not only in the wildcard era will Samoa Joe not be there, we will not <laughs> escalate this if you were tuning in to find out, but we're going to run back a rematch of our pay-per-view match, which was already a rematch of the match two weeks before stop the madness. Can I read Ben Porges's DM slide about Samoa Joe? Are you ready for this? Did you get this? Sure. Did Go you? For it. No, get... I didn't. You know, this bloke from Israel at Ben yeah. Porges, our guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Says, Hey, BC, long time listener, long time DMer. anxiously wait every Thursday for the pod to come out because I'm in a different time zone in Israel. One question for you. And by the way, Ben Porges might be on our um, all Middle Eastern Mount Rushmore of SOC. Do we have a, do we have more than one? Well, I think, uh, you know, um, didn't uh, somebody has claimed themselves on it that lives in a weird spot? Oh, Chike of Nigeria says he's the uh, he's, he's 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 the face of the African state of combat Mount Rushmore. OK, yeah, you said Middle East, but all right, let's let's move on. All right. He's got one question <laughs> for us. Or actually, it's a rant. 
Samoa Joe is now the number one contender for the WWE Championship. That's great. We love Joe. But what has he done lately for him to get that opportunity? Let me recap for you, fellas. Stomping grounds. Title defense versus Ricochet. He took an L. Super showdown. 50-man battle royal. He took an L. Money in the bank. Title defense versus Rey Mysterio. He took an L. He barely wrestles on TV shows, but in the last few months, he holds clean losses to Mysterio, Kurt Angle, and twice against Kofi Kingston. I know Joe can absorb a loss or two, but if you're going to push somebody up, why not do it while you're building him up? Hashtag wins does matter. End DM slide. Hey, Ben Porges, you nailed it. Well, that's the thing. For as much hate as you want to give the Baron Corbin push, they had him win. They had him beat Kurt Angle. They had him win number one contendership matches and opportunities on Raw, and he won his way into a legitimate title opportunity. But he's right. You can't have someone like Samoa Joe lose, 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 and then choke someone out and get a title shot. Let's let's be clear. WWE is not the only organization that does this. You had Chris Jericho, main event Dominion, because he basically appeared on a monitor and challenged Okada out of nowhere, and he just got a title match. The difference is Jericho has that cachet where you're like, oh, wow, Chris Jericho is going to challenge Okada. All right, he's going to accept the challenge, and it works a little bit differently for New Japan. But he's right. The, the issue with WWE is if you want Joe to have that match, have him choke out Kofi, and then on Tuesday put him in a number one contendership match, have him win it, and now you have your challenger. But the fact that after that match with Dolph Ziggler, with Kofi beat down, tired, and, and and just killed after two really hard matches in three days. Three, actually, because he had one on Raw. Why the hell is Samoa Joe not coming out and choking him out again? And leaving him, his, him dead and lifeless in the ring. And then Monday or Tuesday, you have him explain it. There's no reason that the Joe angle happened on Raw. And there's no reason that Bailey and Alexa Bliss... Or having angles on both shows. There's it's, unexplainable questions out there that you terrible. just can't answer. Here's another one. Would you ever ask a nightingale why they sing their sweet song? No, I never would. That's I, He, he can spend the next six to nine months wondering that because he's out of action with a knee injury. One of the worst debuts and introductions yes. of all time, Laura Sullivan. Yes. Um, before we, we do move on, we have a couple of news and notes that we want to talk about. The main story, this actually got broken by, I believe it was Brian Alvarez of Wrestling Observer, and it came to fruition this week on television. Vince McMahon apparently one day decided something that fans have asked for a while. Hey, we don't want you guys going to commercial break in the middle or at the very beginning of matches. And we've seen over the last week plus WWE come up with some different ways to accomplish this. They've restarted matches. They've taken tag team matches and turned them into eight-man tags. We had eight-man tags, by the way. On Monday, it was an elimination match, oh, and another one on Tuesday with two of the te- same teams in both of them. Uh, two, like In the last two weeks, three two out of three falls matches. Um, I think I already mentioned like someone interfering and then restarting a match after the commercial break, so on and so forth. So this is just another example of WWE like overcompensating. Fans saying, hey, we don't want you to do this means, hey, Vince, when you have Raw and you have eight matches and every single time a new one starts, you go to commercial, that's annoying. Why don't you try to do it like twice out of the eight matches? Instead, WWE and Vince goes, we're not doing it anymore and we're instituting all these dumb, ridiculous scenarios to ensure that doesn't happen. 
Did you notice this as drastically as I did? Yeah, I mean, and it, do you and and do you agree that it contributed to this week being so bad? A hundred percent. You're gonna do two two different two out of three falls matches in the same two hour show. Are you kidding me? And a gratuitous tag team match with a bad ending that turned into an eight man tag team match for no reason. Uh, we can't keep harping in, in the same muddle here. Muddle of pud here. Uh, puddle of mud. Uh, wow. That was a weird band. We can't stay here. We got to get out of this. Cause I'm just going to sit here and shoot them all down. Yeah. Let's play duck hunt. Adam. Remember, you know, those weirdos when we, when duck hunt first came out, they'd take the gun, they put it right up against the screen. That's yeah. me. When I'm watching WWE TV this week, you can shoot, down every decision they have made it sucks yeah uh, this is just another example of them trying to fix something that is moderately bad like like hey you know wild card rule if you're gonna bring one person on each show every week for a little bit of a surprise okay that might have worked but it's them taking something and going way too far trying to fix something that really isn't that broken and may and more importantly making their product worse because of it brian this weekend coming up, AEW Fighter Fest. That's that's coming up, and I don't know. Did you end up watching what I asked you to, which is episode two of the Road to Fighter Fest? Did you get there? You damn right I did. I didn't get to finish it though because I am a busy man. But okay. what I heard, Adam, might be the promo of the year. Yep, it was Joey Janela standing in front of an open coffin. I know what you're thinking when you hear the term open coffin and speaking of mailing katie vick but no it was not that he delivered a promo on john moxley fka dino that was so good adam that i've captured it and you're about to hear it right now and you are about to feel it in your feel hole <laughs> he was such a bad bad boy <laughs> so this is where everyone says that the bad boy Joey Janela is going to end up after June 29th, after he fights John Moxley for the very first time in an all-elite wrestling ring at Fighter Fest. Well, I got some news for you people. You should have done some better research. But if it just so happens on that very night is the night that Joey Janela crosses to the other side, the night that the bad boy fades into the darkness, so be it, because I've already left my mark. But unlike you, John Moxley, I haven't made millions. I haven't been told by somebody that I had to dress like an auto mechanic. I haven't starred in some sh straight to dvd movie that no one is ever gonna watch i haven't had a promo written by a 24 year old nyu student handed to me wow. while you were doing all these things in the last 10 years while you were being a bootleg watered down pg kevin dunn supervised version of your former self I've been doing things that made your 17-year career look like child's play. It, it went on from there, but that's just brilliant. I ran, like, I ran to Twitter to my open my phone to tweet about that promo when I heard it. I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, I know Joey's good, and because of Jack, you know, he he's a fan of his and they, and they've spoken previously and have a good relationship. So he always pushes him. Hey, you got to see this Janela match, you know, whatever. And, and they're good. 
and it's a different style and it's it's very risky and hardcore most of the time and and very mature i guess is the best way to put it um but that promo like sirens and revving engines and the fact that AEW on that show and i got to be honest road to fighter fest episode 1 episode 3 take it or leave it being the elite recently take it or leave it but this second episode brian they followed that promo up with a vignette on Darby Allen. Yes. That basically told it introduced a character and told you everything you needed to know about this guy without him having to do a promo or have a match or anything like that. And then you go over to and you remember, hey, WWE used to do that. And they did it to an epic degree. And then you look at something and I like what they're doing with Aleister Black. Don't get me wrong. Oh, how could you? Could you how could I you know say you that? don't. I do. Adam, after this week, how could you ever I say liked that? It. I still, I still like it. What the hell could you like about that? I like, I like what they're doing. But my point is, you look at how they introduced Darby Allen, and you look at how WWE is introducing Aleister Black, and you say, instead of these multiple dark room promos that Aleister Black's cutting, begging for someone to come in, they could have spent ten minutes on one show with a promotion like that, with a vignette like that and gotten Alistair black over to all hell. So big time kudos to AEW for that Janela promo and the Darby Allen vignette, just as good, if not better. Yeah. And even that Sean Spears perfect 10 promo in the car Eh. was the best presentation of him ever since (laughs) the NXT. I mean, mean, it was like, okay, I'll care about this guy now. So Uh, I mean, it didn't make me care about him. It was, fine (laughs) but look i'm excited about fighter fest from the standpoint that it's not really on my radar like we're waiting for all out we're waiting for the debut of the weekly program in the show they hit us in the field spot with double or nothing some of us more correctly than others but that's your opinion right me me perfectly you so you know i'm waiting for the weekly show because that's really when you're going to prove it they've already proven two things they can dominantly sell tickets in big markets and that they can do show, they can do one-off shows and nail it. But you got to do the weekly TV show. So I say that to say that there's almost no pressure on them for me as a fan in this Fighter Fest show because if it sucks, you're just sort of like, look, it's just this small ass card that didn't even sell out. But yet, if they do certain things that grab us, then it's a victory. So it's it's decently smart. Well, the thing is, I mean, look again, and I said this with All In and with Double or Nothing. You know, they had for all in like a year to promote that and to build it and to set the match card for double or nothing. They had five months really to like hone in on a perfect show. And they, it wasn't perfect in my opinion, but it was very good. This is a shorter turnaround, but it's still an extended period of time to build a very small show that they're really not going to get judged on. So they're still operating with house money here. This should be very entertaining. I mean, the card, the, fir- the top four matches on the card or Omega and the Young Bucks against the Lucha Bros and Laredo Kid, John Moxley against Joey Janela, which we we just marked out for Janela's promo. Moxley had a promo previously, which was great. Kobe versus Darby Allen. We just discussed Darby Allen, and then this Fatal Four Way: Hangman Page, MJF, Jimmy Havoc, and Jungle Boy, um, which is you know four talents that they are trying to get over Hangman Page as a main event. The other three guys mostly as mid carders. There's other matches on the show too, but they're giving us a full show. And it's free on Bleacher Report Live this Saturday, let's not forget. So we'll be watching. I'm excited to have wrestling to watch that's not WWE, but it's American, and it gives me a way to kind of say, all right, let it, let, let's let see what AEW has. Just like you said, 
But I do think, look, when you do weekly TV, two hours live, and then start trying to do house shows, which we assume they're going to do, that's where it really becomes difficult. This is still playing with house money, but I mean, there's nothing not to like about this, really. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, uh, Ring of Honor's got a show this week, Adam, that we teased what's off it, the top. Wh- what's it called, Brian? Uh, not War of the World, starring uh, Tom Cruise. Who else was in that movie? I don't even remember. That was not a good movie. No, that was that Liam Neeson. No, no, right? I don't think so. I'm not looking. I'm not looking it up because I don't care, folks. Although it was a big deal when Tom Cruise did come to my hometown. You know who came to my home show here? It's Matt Taven, the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion, and he's better than you think he is. Now you're going to hear his voice coming at you, getting you fired up for Jeff Cobb this Friday. Enjoy. All right, you know I'm fired up to welcome into the CBS Sports Podcast one of the rising stars in the pro wrestling world today. I do not use that loosely. I'm talking about Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion Matt Taven. Bro, it's been a long time coming to chat with you. Fired up. How is life with the damn strap? I mean, it's exactly what you think it's going to be. It's being the world champs, being on top of the world. Uh, which has its benefits. The only downfall is that every Melvin on the face of the earth thinks that they can knock you off the, your pedestal. And unfortunately, you know, Ring of Honor has put me on a schedule that I, I feel like I've defended this title more than anyone else in history at this pace. But uh, Jeff Cobb comes up this Friday, a pretty legit contender. But, I mean, if he thinks he's going to stop these good times that I'm having as the world champion, He's got another thing coming. Yeah. yeah, hey, Cobb, let the good times roll. You mentioned it. Friday, Ring of Honor, best in the world pay-per-view from Baltimore. Of course, people can catch that on pay-per-view on the Fight app through Honor Club. And, Matt, I want to take you back to Madison Square Garden. I'm sure this okay. is this is an all-timer moment for you, of course. It's the G1 Supercard. Everyone's fired up. It's WrestleMania weekend. I knew about Matt Taven. I've seen you wrestle. I've seen you on TV. I've met you and interviewed you shortly in the past before. But there are moments in wrestlers' careers, in any walk of life where you're public-facing, where where you make the leap, where you change people's minds, where you change how people think of you. When you climbed atop that ladder and won that title, I don't know, man. I felt like it was a, it was a darker shade of gray. It was like this guy went from... Someone I know to now someone I need to know. Someone who leaped off the damn page and became probably everything people thought he could be on that night. Now, I know, look, your career doesn't doesn't come down to one performance, but something happened. There was a transaction that night, and I know I wasn't alone. Do you feel what I'm telling you here? Well, I mean... I think I feel that. I think a lot of people, maybe um, their feelings with for me didn't change. Their hatred for me just grew stronger that day. So, you know, in some people's books, uh, it, it was just a more intense feeling that they've already had. But for me, honestly, um, I, I thought that that feeling or that um, rise to the next level that maybe people saw happen at Madison Square Garden uh, was happening for the last six months, and especially the month earlier in Vegas when me and Jay Lethal went 60 minutes. I thought that that uh, it was really the moment that uh, put me on that next echelon. And, you know, it, it's what made Madison Square Garden happen. Uh, going 60 minutes with Jay Lethal, 
shown the wrestling world that, A, I could do that and hang with one of the best there is, and that, you know, it's a draw for the world title. So I'm right then and there a man that uh, has a legit claim at that title if you, you know, hadn't believed to that point that I did. Uh, but of course, you know, I grew up in Boston or, or I grew up in the New England area, I should say. I live in Boston now. Um, you know, New York City is not too far from here. We always had the two gardens, you know, the Boston Garden, the Madison Square Garden. It's kind of like, especially that old school WWF territory. Those were two mainstays that they would always be stopping in um, frequently to. And so, you know, a six-year-old Matt Taven has had this, this thought for years of winning the world championship at Madison Square Garden. Uh, and, and for it to finally happen, yeah, might have solidified my name to, to other people, but was something that I, I always envisioned happening. Um, unfortunately, you know, you don't ride off into the sunset after Madison Square, <laughs> even though that would be a nice way to, to end this fairy tale as I worked all for this moment and now it, it's all done. But uh, the work just begins when you win that title. Uh, and like I said, Ring of Honor's had me on a grueling pace. And now uh, this Friday, you know, Jeff Cobb, a former Olympian, is the next man to step up to the plate for uh, this world title. But that, you know, your sentiment of Matt Taven getting to that next level, but with the win in Madison Square Garden, that's something that um, I feel like I constantly have to maintain that status and keep up with. So if Jeff Cobb thinks that, you know, I, I'm resting on my laurels after Madison Square Garden, uh, he's going to find that the same scrappy, you know, claw your eyes out type, type competitor is going to be waiting for him in Baltimore, just like I was ready for Madison Square. Damn right. Well, everything worked, it seemed, that night in the Garden. And obviously, look, it's a special arena. It was a special card for a non-WWE promotion show to come in there and take over that arena. The card delivered. You, Marty Skrull. Jay Lethal delivered in a big match, but, you know, when I mentioned sort of jumping off the page, man, standing atop that ladder, that ladder, you were like a maestro. You had the crowd where you needed them. They hated you, yet it's sort of what the simultaneous moment of you capitalizing on all that hatred you built up, but yet at the same time, like, proving everything you said about yourself up to this point, it was true. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, there's certain moments of time uh, that really kind of stand out, and obviously not just the match in general, but that moment of just when Jay fell off that ladder and I was standing on top of it, looking around at a sold-out Madison Square Garden with one hand holding that title, just waiting to unstrap it, you could hear you know, the people that have hated Matt Taven give out that, like, no, and then you know the people that have been there and supported me through the years screaming in joy, so... Uh, the mixed emotions and the sounds and just like looking around and seeing all the different faces with all their different reactions, man, that smile on my face that you see in that moment is as genuine as it gets. And even thinking about it right now, I got a big, you know, Cheshire grin on. Yeah, absolutely, man. No question about it. Uh, Jeff Cobb is no small task here and I'm excited to see what kind of business you can do together, but I'd have to assume this will be very stiff, physical business. Is the champ ready for this? Well, I mean, like I said, I've worked for 11 years throughout the independence, the last six years in Ring of Honor for this title, for the, to be able to say Matt Taven's the Ring of Honor world champion. Um, and, you know, I, I've been through knee surgeries, broken ribs, you know, mornings where I just can't get out of bed. Uh, and I, I didn't work this whole time to, sh to show up in Baltimore and have a letdown. 
So I'm ready for whatever Jeff Slob is going to bring to the table because uh, he's in there with someone who's as dangerous as, a kid is, as they can be because honestly, you know, this is my life and this is what I've worked for. And you're going to have to, you know, pull this tile, title out of my cold, dead hands when it comes down to it. So uh, Jeff Cobb, he might be bringing his A game, but he better know that the champ's bringing his as well. Let's talk business here. Uh, this is a, a hell of a time to be alive as a wrestling fan, as a wrestling journalist. I call it the third boom period of the modern era. I, I was lucky to be watching when the first WrestleMania launched. I was certainly fired up during the Attitude Era. But this indie explosion where it's not just an indie thing, this has now set the standard of what wrestling should be. And you see it in NXT. You're seeing it everywhere. Japan's on fire. AEW's launching. You're now the face of Ring of Honor, more or less. All, all respect to Jay Lethal, who's, who's, who's been a, you know, had a great run as the backbone there. But you're the face. There's a responsibility there. What's it like navigating this when the business is so on fire? And I'm sure you're crawling to leave your own mark at this moment, and scratching and crawling to sort of say, there's a lot going on around the world, and it's great. But right here in Ring of Honor, with me wearing the title, it's pretty damn great, too. I mean, and, and you hit the nail on the head. This is a very exciting time to be a wrestling fan. Uh, with just so much wrestling available at your fingertips. And the style has evolved. And, you know, a lot of that evolution started right here in Ring of Honor. Uh, and that's a tradition and pride that we have in ourselves that we continue to make sure that when you think of Ring of Honor, you think of the next evolution, the next step in wrestling. And, uh, you know, we have that moniker, the best wrestling in the planet, and we love to live up to it every time. Um, at the same time, you know, we have that motivation at all times. But right now, with everything going on and so much buzz about wrestling, it just motivates every single guy in that locker room even more because we want our fair share of the pie, our fair share of the attention, our fair share of that buzz. Um, and it's in the back of our minds um, at all times. And that, I think that's what's making wrestling so good right now is that everyone's competing with everyone and everyone's bringing out their best. Um, and I, I know right now uh, Best in the World is going to be one of those events where you're going to see, you know, every single person on that roster from top to bottom as motivated as can be because of the, you know, hot stove that is wrestling right now. Yeah, no question about it, man. It is. It is. Uh, there's there's only so many hours in a day to keep up with it all. But, man, the quality across the board is insane, as I'm sure you you know all too well. I mean, you can't have an off night. I mean, you, you, it's almost like you, you're, people talk about reaching for the brass ring. You're reaching for the five stars almost every given night. Is that a, does that ever feel like a burden or is it like that's how you want to operate every way? You're trying to blow, blow away every fan sitting in that building every night. I mean, that's, that's definitely, especially at Ring of Honor, that's always kind of been the mindset is, you know, every night go out there and act like it's, it's, you know, the biggest night of the year. Um, of course, you know, you, you feel that burden put on yourself and put on especially the champ uh, at this point. But that's just because I've seen, you know, the people that have come before me, I've been with Ring of Honor for six years. I know the tradition and the quality of, of wrestling that uh, Ring of Honor prides itself on. And, um, you know, I, I've been prepared and ready for this moment this entire time. Um, it, it's going to be no different than how Ring of Honor has always been. Um, because I honestly think even when I wasn't the world champ, I, I still kind of put that, that burden and that pressure on myself to always go out there and uh, try to make sure people know that there, there's one guy that's supposed to be the main event, and that's me. 
All right, talk to me about life as a heel. You had a certain control I mentioned over the crowd that night. It wasn't your first time showing that great heel persona out there, making people boo, making people cheer because you're the cool guy in the room. For you as an entertainer, as a performer, what were the seeds that sort of were planted to create what what you've put together now, which is one of the better in the world at, at playing that role? I mean, I, I think I've always had this chip on my shoulder, just the competitive nature of, of who I am uh, to kind of prove people and prove doubters wrong. And uh, obviously, the more you succeed, the more you're going to have people that, you know, look at you sideways or think that you don't deserve the uh, attention that you're getting. But it really happened when um, I was out for nine months after knee surgery. And I, I really had this kind of chip on my shoulder of... Um, People don't appreciate me enough. People don't see, you know, the greatness that is Matt Taven. And even right now, you know, out on knee surgery, people are forgetting about who I am. And when I came back, I made sure that if there was one thing that I was going to do is that I was going to grab that microphone and let everyone know how I truly felt. That I was better than everyone and, and, and I knew that that pissed them off, but they could go, you know, pound sand for all I care. Um, so when I came back and we reformed the kingdom and, and, you know, started calling everyone Melvins and really just letting loose on, on how I truly feel. Um, a, I felt better. And uh, B, I think people don't like to see someone say, uh, you know what, you're stupid and just watch me go out and succeed. And then the guy actually goes out and lives up to every word that he says. It really, you know, crawls up uh, certain people sideways. So, to see that kind of reaction towards me lets me know that a I'm doing something right and b I'm not going to stop any anytime soon because it's brought me all the way to the Ring of Honor World Title. Yeah, keep up exactly what you're doing. Uh, you're a fantastic heel, but I want to babyface you for a second. I love me, so Mike Bennett. I know there's times <laughs> in your life you love yourself, so Mike Bennett. I think he's had a fantastic story on his personal turnaround. When you see the success he's having, even now being sort of the face of 205 Live, what are you thinking? I mean, Mike is a guy that, uh, you know, is, is one of those people that's as genuine as it gets, wears his heart on his sleeve, and goes out there and busts his ass. And those are people that you always root for, you know, even besides our personal relationship. But uh, when it comes to the two of us, we've known each other. You know, one of my, my very first matches was uh, with Mike uh, involved in it. And it, it was one of those things where we might have been close to the same age, but I had started later and we just be kind of became instant friends. And he really helped me out a lot, especially at the beginning. And then we just kind of became so close. Obviously, we became a team and, and toured all around to, with one another. And it just becomes family. Uh, so me and Mike, we talk constantly, and uh, I, I'm I'm very happy at where he is right now. You know, obviously there there's been some ups and downs, but right now he, he's on a big up, and you know the baby's adorable. Both of them seem to be very happy, Mike and Maria. So that's all you can really ask for in the end. Um, and from from now and until the end of time, we'll always be as thick as thieves. Uh, even if we, we see each other a lot less these days. And he's got abs now, so, you know, that's a good deal for him. Maria, not so happy about it since it's baby-making season. I <laughs> talked to them about it. It, it. it was a great chat there. Uh, when you look at, you know, look, you're on the, you're on the top of, of your profession at the moment. You've made some great strides. It's now 
the sky's the limit. You're entering, really, as a pro wrestler, your prime where the physicality and the, the athleticism is still there, but the mind every day is growing even more. What do you work on on a daily basis, whether it's physical or mental, to continue to improve at this craft? I mean, I, I think, you know, wrestling is one of those rare arts where you really never stop learning and you can really never get comfortable with where you're at, mostly because of the evolution of wrestling. And we talked about that before, that being a real sense of pride and tradition with Ring of Honor, keeping the progress of wrestling moving forward. Uh, so for me, you know. I've been doing this for, for a long time, but obviously I'm in a different position now than I've ever been. So it's, it's studying the great champions of the past, you know, seeing what their title reigns were like, watching uh, how they handled certain opponents, certain situations, um, and, and trying to adapt that into, you know, my current style and what I've been doing for, for years. So I think, you know, obviously um, we're always learning and wrestling, but for right now I'm trying to learn from, how, how did certain world champions, you know, really handle kind of their reigns, their pace, their um, one challenger to the next, uh, kind of mixing styles? Because Ring of Honor has thrown the PCOs at me, the Mark Haskins at me, the, you know, Flip Gordons. All three of those guys have completely different styles. Jeff Cobb is probably going to be the strongest of the bunch that I just, just mentioned. So it's um, it's constantly keeping me on my toes with all these different styles that I have to find myself across the ring from. But uh, watching the greats of the past handle those situations is uh, where my kind of, you know, sitting under the learning tree is at this moment. Fantastic. And uh, you mentioned you're originally a native of New Hampshire. It puts you in uh, interesting company with the likes of Dangerous Danny Davis and the great Triple H right there. That's, <laughs> that, that ain't bad, right? You know, uh, you know, New Hampshire being the the small state that it is has, has produced some some great wrestling. Uh, so there, there's a lot to live up to. But uh, you know, I, I grew up in southern New Hampshire, and you know, you're stone throw away from Massachusetts, and obviously Boston being right here. And especially when I got into the Indies, uh, the independent scene here in New England, there's so much talent, and, and you can sit there and just look at the guys right now from you know, the Tommaso Champa, so Mike Bennett, so myself, Kofi, you know, is, is a New England guy. Uh, Hanson, who's um, Ivan now, is a New England guy. And he, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, at the time when I was getting started, all these guys were in the New England scene trying to get these breaks. And, um, you know, I, I always heard an explanation that, uh, you know, the, the best food is, is made in a, in a pressure cooker. And I really, truly believe that that's what the New England scene was for years and, and still is. And kind of the best talent really groomed here uh, in this pressure cooker because only the strong kind of made it out of the area and only the best really flourished. Um, and that's why I think you see so many guys breaking out on a national stage from this area because the talent was just so good. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Connecticut guy myself, so power to New England on there. Sasha Banks <laughs> claiming New England as her own as well. Love to see that as well. Uh, to close here, uh, you know, I had Jay Lethal on the show a couple months ago, and I really loved him, you know, telling me that he thinks he's had the greatest apprenticeship in wrestling history. <laughs> he said, you know, just lucky to have the job and the right promotion under the right guy who was willing to take him under his wing and teach him. And he credits everyone from, you know, working with AJ Styles and in, in TNA to, to just sitting with Kevin Nash and learning about the business all the way on through Ring of Honor and beyond. 
Who are those one or two guys that you look back on in your younger days where you're like, man, if that guy wasn't there at that time, I wouldn't have grown to, to, to enter this next phase? You know, and, and a lot of the guys that Jay uh, mentions, you know, the AJ Styles, uh, I found myself across the ring from a couple times in Ring of Honor in New Japan. But there, there's so many guys, and um, a lot of them really weren't much older than you or younger than you. It's more peer-to-peer style, you know, the Roger Strong, the Eddie Edwards, Jay Lethal himself. Uh, from Since 2014, I find myself running into Jay Lethal every time I turn the corner. You know, we fought over the television t- uh, title for what seemed like a year. We did cage matches, TV matches, now the world title. We've done ladder matches, 60-minute draws, where I'm going to see him again in New York next month. Uh, and it's one of those guys that uh, everything that Jay learned has made him into the great wrestler he is today. So then when you get in the ring with someone that's great, it brings out the best in you as well. Um, so, you know, Jay might be one of my greatest rivals and someone that's been a thorn in my side from time to time. But at the same time, I know that every time I step in the ring with Jay Lethal, it's going to bring out the best in me and make me that much better. Love it. Love it. Love seeing Matt Taven on top. The Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion Friday night. Ring of Honor's best in the world pay-per-view from Baltimore. Jeff Cobb across the ring from you. It's going to be magic. It's going to be stiff. It's going to be fun. Matt Taven, great talking with you, man. Great picking your brain. All I got to say is keep doing what you're doing because it's fantastic. Hey, I plan on keep making all of us New Englanders proud, keeping that world title right here where it belongs. All right, Adam, look, he may be a growing top heel in the face of ROH at the moment, but uh, decently a uh, baby face turn there at the end of the interview. I like me some Matt Taven, a good dude. I think the best thing, the, the most accurate thing I can say about Matt Taven is went into G1 Supercard of Honor. I was sitting with you and our old dear friend Nick, um, not having any particular love for him and came out of that match highly respecting him. That was a great match. You know, I'm not going to lie and say I watch ROH Weekly. I know you don't either. It's just not there for us. But Jeff Cobb is a tremendous uh, challenger for this title, someone who, you know, fans and myself included are extremely excited about. And I'm curious to see how this match plays out. There's a lot of people that think Cobb is going to win the world title here. And it'll be interesting to see if they do keep it on Taven short term or if they actually do go to Cobb and try to make him the face of their brand. Well, Cobb has the G1 coming up, though, so that does question me if he's going to take a month and a half off of being the ROH champion. I'd like to see it on Taven. That was a big moment at the Garden. I'd like to see, look, uh, ROH is, 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 in, is in play right now in the wrestling scene, but they're not the end game. We all know that. The end games are WWE, AEW, NJPW. So I want to see if Taven could get himself to the level where it's like, oh, man, we have to see this guy in AEW, or what would he look like in NXT? I want to see how good he can be at age 34. He, he's making some leaps. He's, he's getting there. So, you know, yeah. I'd like to see him against Bandito in a program. Let's see if we can get that going on well, ROH. Well, Bandito is actually in a world TV title match again against Shane Taylor. He's challenging for it on that show. That's the co-main. And the match that I'm really looking forward to, if I end up getting the opportunity to see one or two of them, is Flip Gordon against Roosh. That's a singles match. Uh, talking about Flip, obviously – most likely one day soon, once his contract ends, going to AEW. Uh, really curious to see how that plays out. But Roosh and Bandito already in two pretty big matches um, for Ring of Honor on that show. So it'll be exciting to see. Absolutely. Adam, I want to hit you up on a, uh, I guess you can call it a field spot, if you will. For as bad as WWE was this week, we the Easter eggs were there with the Firefly Funhouse, the Bray Wyatt fueled thing. Only we didn't get the... 
weekly segment. We got a lot of catch me if you missed it moments though of people backstage and the puppets showing up. Adam, this this next thing I'm about to say is designed to give you some props. I have a listener of the show named Josh, long, long, long time friend of mine. Uh, he's pro Silver King on this take. Like real life friend? Yeah. Like yeah outside yeah. of the internet? Okay. Long time friend. Um, I would say he's not normally pro Silver King, but he does know me and he knows the times I can go over the line and maybe miss something or be too hard on something. So most, goes, most of the time. He yeah. says Silver King has a way of bringing me back down to earth. So clearly he doesn't hear Jimmy. But what Smart Josh man. said was that Silver King kind of indirectly nailed it. When this Firefly Funhouse first started, you made the reference to Mr. Robot. And you basically kind of said, you know, this could be all in his mind. And when when I hear that, I think of Fight Club, right? Where where that whole second character was in the mind of, of – uh, of, was that Ed Norton? Well, that was slightly different. Um, yeah, it was Ed Norton and, and, uh, you and know, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Right. It was, that was more split personality. Mr. Robot is more – creating a false reality in your head. So he says, based off of what Silver King said, he wants to take it to a next level because he wasn't sure if you meant this, but you can jump in and try to steal Silver King credit if you want afterwards. (laughs) He believes that Bray Wyatt was sent to a mental institution in storyline by WWE. And this show is just what's going on in his mind, in his reality, when he's on his medication and he's trying to show people that, look, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. But when that medication starts to wear off, he goes back to being the evil. So in reality, this show isn't real. It's all in his head. And it's the fight in his head between feeling normal and nice when the medication's on and really having a black and evil heart when it wears off at the end of the day. Do you I thought that was brilliant. I would never would have put that together in my head. But if that's the way they're going, it does kind of make sense. I don't know how you would transition out of that and make Bray Wyatt a wrestler, but that could be pretty genius. Well, medication or not, that's kind of where I was going. It was more like the funhouse is the safe space he created in his head to that otherwise represents a padded cell that he's in getting treatment and him getting out of that um, and and people following him is him like leaving. Maybe his time there is coming up and he's able to leave the facility and rejoin the public. But because his firefly funhouse persona is what's on the outside and the fiend is what's really happening on the inside, him pushing down these emotions and feelings. It's whether I'm right or not, or whether that's the way they go or it's a little bit different. It's so the fact that I can conjure that or that anyone can conjure what they want to believe it is, it, it doesn't make any sense that it's happening in WWE with everything else. Like I said earlier, they're creatively bankrupt as a company right now. But the <laughs> fact that simultaneous with that Firefly Funhouse exists, it's mind boggling. But I did love the puppets kind of showing up two in the background of each show. We got Huskus uh, showing up behind Daniel Bryan. I think with a face full of barbecue sauce. It was really funny. Made me laugh. They were placed well. If you noticed, I believe on Raw. They were behind the faces on SmackDown. They were behind heels backstage. It just felt like so refreshing because you're like, WWE can do that? Do that kind of cool stuff where it's not obvious where you – like I I double-taked. I'm like, wait, what? Like, you know, you rewind and you're like, oh, man, I caught that because to be honest, most of the time I'm looking down during the show and I'm hoping the announce team is pulling my eyes off of my phone to actually make me watch it. But uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. All right. You you know what though? I I do wish – and I know this won't won't happen, but I wish like they showed Gorilla next week 
and in Vince's chair was like the Vince puppet. <laughs> like I would, right. I would totally mark out if Vince, the Vince puppet was in Vince's chair in, in Gorilla. That would be incredible. Um, only other thing I wanted to, to bring, really bring up, there's two things. One, uh, Nikki Bella officially announced her retirement. She announced that she actually has a cyst on her brain, which is scary. I'm not sure what kind. She didn't really get into details on that. But she also herniated another disc oh. over. Uh, and the other one, look, man, for as much as I hate on the 24-7 championship, and I do because I wish they took it a little bit more seriously, I have already previously laid out the ways I think that title could exist and be a huge gainer for WWE. We have to give credit, or at least I have to give credit, for the Drake Maverick wedding and the storyline they are doing. It hasn't translated great on TV, but the wedding video maybe is the best one that they've done so far. Yeah, I've, I have a weird relationship with this, and I've got everybody coming to me in person, on Twitter, on text, going, you know, you can't hate on that. At least that's working. I don't know, man. It's just cheesy to me. And it's, it's, it's I'm at a point right now where even like when our buddy Jack was like, man, you got to give Kofi credit. His title reign has been fantastic. And I'm like, I can't see the trees through the forest of this crap right now. And it's sort of like, to me, this is a panic WWE move. Let's just add another title and let's steal from another gimmick we had in the 90s that kind of worked. And now let's just try to make this work right now around all the other crap. If this was an AEW thing, people are like, well, you'd love that. I don't know. I certainly no, would love would. it now when WWE is not working. And then this is just one sort of thing that pops up. It's okay. Our truth has been great in it. I'll give you that. I love me some our truth, but I think it's corny and I'm sick of the jobbers chasing each other and it doesn't even make any sense psych- psychologically. So you know what? I'm out on that too. Deal with it, people, because the steak is on the grill and it's coming and we got a big ass show next week that's chock full of meat adam we do we will be previewing g1 climax 29 two huge interviews on the show we will be speaking with the lead english commentator kevin kelly and one of the brightest young stars in new japan pro wrestling especially from an american side juice robinson we will have a special episode of state of combat next wednesday covering all of that and surrounding that BC, the man whose name is on the marquee, will be in the Sin City, Las Vegas for UFC 239. BC, tell them what's on tap. I believe we have shows Monday and Thursday. Is that correct? What do we got coming up? Uh, you're going to get a lot of content from the SOC, the big Monday preview with UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. Rashad getting in that Hall of Fame next week. We have an exclusive sit-down interview we did with Amanda Nunez, the quote, the greatest of all time. I hate quote. By the way, Clarissa Shields created the quote. Never say quote again. It's the worst. Amanda oh, greatest, Nunez. Wait, greatest woman of all time? Yes. It's the What's worst What's worse? Statement. What's worse? Quote or gamote? which is Rey Mysterio's greatest mask of oh, all time. Just get him off my screen. Uh, so look, you're going to want to hear that t- that talk with Amanda Nunez. We'll get you fired up. Just like our wrestling show, we're going to do a video YouTube preview. You're going to want to check that out. Brandon Wise, Rashad Evans, and myself. And the three of us will be on the ground in Vegas next week. We're going to invade media day. We're going to get a ton of great sound. You're going to hear from me, hear from Rashad. Maybe hear from John Jones. Maybe get Rashad and John Jones back together on the same microphone. That could get interesting. All the previews, all the breakdowns, post-podcast, we're going to hit you from all angles on 239. And also check out our boxing podcast this weekend. This week, I'm sorry, great interview with Freddie Roach, getting you fired up for Pacquiao Thurman. Yeah, we will have no boxing pod next week. We expect it to return the week after, barring what happens at UFC 239. And don't forget, we have Pacquiao Thurman 
uh, fight coming up July 20th. Is that, is that also in Las Vegas? Yes. Man, big fight summer in Las Vegas already, but Pacquiao Thurman will have full coverage of that. You can hit cbssports.com slash MMA for coverage of UFC 239, cbssports.com slash boxing for full boxing coverage, UFC, uh, cbssports.com slash WWE for full wrestling coverage. It may say WWE. It's all-encompassing. And obviously, don't forget to follow us at State of Combat on Twitter, at B. Campbell, CBS, at Silverstein Adam. Yeah, and if you don't like what Adam says, come at him on the media waves. He disrespected me and my family through the media waves, you know? He will disrespect you over these media waves. We agree to disagree. We have a fight. We have an adult beverage. Whatever. Right. Man to man. Mano y mano. Okay. That's that's how we do it. That's not the way he does it. You're right, Randy. That's not the way he does it, but that's... who's Who's the one responding there? That's how men do. Um, he is a African-American gentleman who is doing an interview based off of Randy Savage's rap CD that came out. You know, the Be a Man Hogan <laughs> in the pool area in Florida of somebody's house in the back. It's just, it's just, Randy has done very little on-cam interviews in the, you know, in the final decade before his death. And uh, sure. that was one of them. All righty, then. That's the show for this week. Special thanks to Matt Taven. Yes, wrestling is back. Huge hugs for all our listeners. Yes, I said it. Um, and I think that's it, Adam. You know, let's let them the interview. There's um, nothing more to say. Interview. Interview's over. You understand? Done. And we out.